It's where you build a legacy. You can immortalize yourself. WrestleMania! The road to WrestleMania is about to take a most diabolical turn. This is the Elimination Chamber. Inside, these 12 superstars will put their careers in jeopardy. And only beyond the pain, the torture, the suffering, is their one chance to fulfill a dream. Their last chance to headline WrestleMania. Tonight, the last stop on the road to WrestleMania goes through the Elimination Chamber. And now, WWE presents Elimination Chamber. I just want to say that when Kane... After he chokes Adams, Ray and Edge and leaves the room. Michael Cole says, uh, the big red monster has been eliminated. He's not very red at this stage. He's actually got black tights on with a little bit of a red trim. So I think there's a little bit of a poor bit of marketing there because he just got it wrong. I suppose if they'd said, oh, in the pasty monster, <laughs> here he is, old weak old ham-looking cane walking down to the ring with his massive belly button, which I noticed again. It looks like a melt on Mowbray, doesn't it? Welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and today we deliver on a promise we made to you over four months ago when we did our Hell in a Cell 2011 episode by bringing you our... That's completely wrong. <laughs> I've got... When we did our Hell in a Cell 21, 2011 episode by bringing you our review of that year's Hell in a Cell. I'm going to go with it anyway. That promise was, of course, made when Tom Smith mistakenly watched the first half hour or so of the show at that time. Tom, good to see you today. Ah, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. It's our pleasure, too. And it's the first time ever that you've been announced first. I know. I couldn't, I couldn't help but notice that. I was a little bit, a little bit, I don't know how to react. I don't know if I'm happy. I don't know if I'm scared. I might be a little bit turned on, if I'm being honest. <laughs> the transition would have worked better if I hadn't fucked up the start. So. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're all cunts at the end of the day, aren't we? <laughs> so how many beers are you already in, Tom? Two and a half. <laughs> yeah, you can tell. Uh, the, the smaller bottles, though. Smaller bottles. <laughs> and also joining us today is old man Sam Carey. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, I'm pretty chuffed already because uh, as anybody who had spoken to any previous lovers that I've had, this is the first time I've ever come second. <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> <laughs> that was the sign of old man's balls emptying. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, if you listen, you could just hear the last little droplets. <laughs> wow okay well 
If you are joining us for the first time ever today, I hope you're not, but if you are... Where the fuck have you been? <laughs> welcome along for the ride. This is episode 58 of this podcast, and unless you're only a fan of wrestling from outside North America, in which case I've no idea why you're listening, we're fairly certain there will be something for you in our ever-expanding back catalogue. We have episodes from WWE, WCW, NWA, NXT, ECW, AWA, and AEW, ranging from 1984 through to this very year. Pretty impressive. Nearly 40 years we've covered. It's crazy, isn't it, that we've been doing this for 40 years yeah. 40 um, years unbelievable unbelievable yeah and we uh we press on today with a little um a little topic i wanted to talk about now i need to Ooh. preface this because obviously who knows what can happen in the next couple of weeks before this episode actually gets released there's all kinds of rumors and stuff flying around at the moment about potential signings here there and everywhere the one i wanted to talk about because i thought we could talk about it without it being confirmed is whether or not we want to see steve austin have a match at wrestlemania 38 so obviously the rumors are that the WWE are in talks with Austin to have a match at WrestleMania 38 with Kevin Owens. Now that's the rumours as we speak, as I said, a couple of weeks time might all have been debunked. It might also have been confirmed. But I just wanted to know whether the, even the idea had any interest for you. So Tom, why didn't you tell us? The idea of saying God see Austin come back for a match makes me very sad, if I'm being honest. I thought he was a guy that said when he's done, he's done. Considering he was a man who took such pride in his performances and, and such pride in his character, the idea of him coming back in at 57 this makes me feel a bit sad it's completely unnecessary it's lazy from a wwe storytelling standpoint and i don't want to see a 57 year old Stone Cold steve austin in a ring now admittedly his style to be fair when the way he wrestled it might not be affected too much by his age and the fact is he didn't take bumps anyway really for the last like five years of his career pretty much so he could still potentially have another similar match but i just don't want that why would you take the memory we saw what happened when my beloved Bret Hart came back at WrestleMania 26 and it is one of the saddest memories I've ever had and I was there for it as well so I just don't want it no thank you not for me I do not want it it's not anything that I would get excited about however if this scenario has to happen in life and there is one person I would want him to do this with it is Kevin Owens because he's a big enough guy Kevin Owens that it would look like he'd pummel Austin but he'd also sell like a motherfucker for him like I said, I don't want it, but if it has to happen, then let's do it with that. I mean, there's obviously more rumours as well as this. As we're recording this on the 15th of February. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. I hope everyone's not too tired from all the sex they had last night. I'm certainly not. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Cody Rhodes has left AEW. Indeed, yes. Which, I mean, don't give a fuck because don't particularly rate him. As Tinky coined him, mid-card Cody. And uh, I get the feeling that what will probably happen is he'll probably come back to WWE and Vince will chuck him in the ring with a returning Rhino. <laughs> and that'll, that'll be the third match at WrestleMania and it'll be a 40-second blowout. But back to Steve Austin. Don't want it, but I wouldn't cry. Would it make you much more likely to watch WrestleMania 38? Uh, it would make me likely to watch that match. So it would make I, you much more likely to watch something from WrestleMania 38? Yes, which is more than I probably... I was having this conversation with a friend of the show, Malter, just on Sunday, actually. We were talking about wrestling because he dips in and out. And uh, I genuinely don't think I'm going to watch it at the moment, mm. which is... I mean, don't get me wrong, this took a couple of months to go. But it's going to be eight hours of wrestling at least. <laughs> If it was on tomorrow, I would not watch it. I think it's interesting because obviously you mentioned Cody Rhodes. It's clear to me that 
something's going on in terms of WWE's head that they feel like they need something else for WrestleMania and they need some attractions for that show. They released Shane McMahon, of course, and he was rumored to be involved in a relatively big match, possibly with mm. Seth Rollins at WrestleMania, but that's not going to happen now. And it feels to me like WWE ever have <laughs> ideas. We're all very thankful for that. Yeah, we are. <laughs> if, 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 if we do a Celebrity Series show, I'll be like, I'm thankful because Shane McMahon did wrestle at WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels like they're, they are trying to find something. And Steve Austin and Cody Rhodes seem two of the least likely names to be out there because of Cody's mm. association with AEW and because of Austin, the fact that he hasn't wrestled since 2003, WrestleMania 19. So you thought that that was quite unlikely. But it says, says suggests to me that both, if they do sign... And the money that might be on the table here might be very high indeed, because if you're Austin, the only way you're going to come out is if they give you an offer that you genuinely cannot refuse. I couldn't, I dread to think how much money it might be that they might shell out on him. And also I would have thought, given Cody's position or his previous position in AEW before he left the company, that he would also be holding out for a large amount of money uh, to go back to WWE and take advantage of the fact that WWE not only need something else for WrestleMania, but also would probably not flinch at the opportunity to perhaps dent ever so slightly AEW's momentum. Not that I think Cody Rhodes is a hugely important figure in terms of their in-room product, but it, at least symbolically, it kind of it kind of hits them a little bit. So I think what it says to me is that WWE are out there offering some big money for some people to come in for this year's WrestleMania. I don't think for a second that Cody Rhodes is leaving AEW. He's left. He has oh, actually yeah. left. I, I think he'll be back in a month or so's time. Like a lot of the those guys like Cody Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, you know, came are also like insidery wrestling nerds. He might go and might do like I don't know, he might rock a bit impact or go back to New Japan or something like that, but he'll still he's leaving in my opinion, I think he's leaving leaving AEW to come back. I don't I can't see him going to WWE. Why why can't you see him go what is it about him that you can't see him back to WWE? Well, because I don't from what I get it, it sounds like he left on pretty I know he got released, didn't he? Because he has to be released and they grant his release. But it's just seemed to me ever since then that he's been quite resentful of his run in WWE, especially during the starter scene. Now you could say potentially that he might use that as a fuel to be like, no, no I've got to go back and prove them wrong and show that I as Cody Rhodes rather than Star Starburst? Stardust. Um <laughs> Opal Fruit. Yes, and uh, yeah, this tag team partner, fruit pastels. <laughs> um, but I just surely Chewits, Chewits would be oh, the uh, tag team partner of Star Yeah, and they, do you know what they could do. They could like um have a feud against like Smarties and Rolos. <laughs> be amazing. Um, oh, what a match though! I know, delicious. I just think that I think he's such like I think he's a bit of a mark for himself. If we can use the M word, he's such a mark for himself, and I think that he loves to. I get the idea that he loves to be so insider and be like, "Oh, let's do this, let's do this." I think he's just leaving, putting it out there, and he'll be back in a couple of months' time, and it'll be a shock surprise, and everyone will be really happy with him because I reckon, I reckon his ego has been really dented by the fact that he is not getting the overall loving reception that he thinks he deserves. There's something interesting as well, because what you have on happening on Saturday, on the coming Saturday, so it would have happened when this goes out, is Elimination Chamber. And there's obviously rumblings that Lesnar will win the Chamber match to win the WWE title to then have a title versus title match. Could you imagine Cody Rhodes debuting? He takes someone out of that elimination chamber and he wins it. And then they've got another match. And I I personally, like, he would not make me watch a wrestling show, Cody Rhodes. But... 
the amount of buzz that that would create in wrestling. And it's also the fact that people could conceivably sign up for the network, WWE Network, pay a tenner and see it, and then they've got their bump. And that's kind of all they need. If you get a million people do that, that's 10 million quid. That's paying for Austin to walk down the ramp. How amazing would it be if, uh, you know, they had this Cody Rhodes return and they'd had him squashed by Lesnar in two minutes at WrestleMania? <laughs> this is where I think I'd really differ from your take on him, Tom, is I, I think he may have been, he may have made the most perfect timing any wrestler's ever made, quite frankly, in terms of getting a contract which wildly overvalues their worth to the market. This is a year where WWE desperately needs something for WrestleMania. First year in decades when WWE's actually had competitions arguable, but a another product out there that is really causing waves. People are really kind of talking about it. And Cody is also on the da- like if you look at where he is creatively or where he was creatively in AEW, like there are 10, 15 wrestlers ahead of him in the in the pecking order. The you know, he, he if he moves now, gets a big money move and some kind of guarantee of a really big WrestleMania match against, I don't know, Lashley, Drew McIntyre, AJ Styles, somebody, uh, Seth Rollins, maybe. He'll have done brilliant business. Oh, that's the way I read it, read it, is that Cody Rhodes has thought this is the best chance for me to make a big payday. Sign a three-year deal, get a favorable schedule as well on top of everything. Like, I, you know, I could, I could well see it. So... I'm going to put it out there. Cody Rhodes versus Drew McIntyre is a strong contender for my list of cunts match from hell. (laughs) (laughs) That's thrown me because that's actually, that actually sounds all right to me, that match. Right. Let's get into this show we're covering today. Elimination Chamber 2011. Tom, you finally had your day. (laughs) It's been four months since you started watching this and now finally you've got through it. So why don't we start with you when it comes to hopes and fears? You know what the hopes and fears are. The fears override the hopes, if I'm being honest. The fears are that it's going to be a bunch of people from my list who I don't want to watch wrestle with some dreadful commentary. My hope is that there's at least going to be some decent in-ring action and some interesting spots in the Elimination Chamber matches. But I wasn't sure about what else was happening on the undercard around these matches as well. So I didn't have much to hope for. I was more fearful than hopeful. I was just hoping to not be bored. Oh, man. I was hitting this on this. Lovely little rhyme. That's one for uh, Eminem, if he wants to use it. So I've never seen this, which is a surprise, because we, us three, were living together at the time. And I'm quite surprised that we didn't watch it. But I can't remember how we watched WrestleMania 27, which was my major fear of the evening, in that this came before what I personally believe is outside of WrestleMania 2, the worst I can remember. WrestleMania 27 is absolutely horrendous. And I can remember the build not being very good and not really engaging me. But then something popped into my head. I was like, hang on a minute. This is The Miz and Jerry Lawler, I think. And I was like, well, there's something that's at least going to at least gonna pique my interest and probably wake the crowd up as well. Because I, I couldn't think, like Tom said, this might be full of his cunts. But I couldn't think who was going to be on this apart from Jonathan Cena or JFC. But no. I wasn't excited, I'd say. I was tepid, if we're going to use a heat scale that we never used. Let's go tepid. <laughs> tepid to, I might have to put a cardigan on. In the in the water? Yeah, which is stupid. I know, I know. But hey, I, I didn't make the heat scale, mate. <laughs> well, you did. You just created it out of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know why we didn't watch this if we didn't, because I think I did see it at the time, but I can't remember. I couldn't remember anything about it, but I, 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 w- I was sure we would have watched it. But just like you, old man, I can't remember how we watched WrestleMania 27 at all. Cannot fathom how we watched it. it like I can remember some WrestleManias, somewhere we were, you know, in your house later on mm. after this point, somewhere. You know, I watched it. I've watched one in London. I remember watching uh, like one in on my own at home in on my la- on my laptop. Oh, I think loser. it was one year. Yeah, yeah, sad days. Um, <laughs> oh, bold. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I don't I don't know why I can't remember how we watched WrestleMania 27. And I don't. I said I, I'm sure we would have watched this, but I don't remember how. But there's no there's no way we didn't because yeah. we lived together. We must have got so fucking hammered. <laughs> That's the only thing I can think of because there's no way we wouldn't have watched this and made a thing out of it because i remember staying up and watching episodes of raw <laughs> together so that was the one that know. brought heart return that was the one oh yeah. Heart return, yeah but still yeah fair enough so wrestlemania 27 we watched and it was when i was working at a restaurant and uh there was some event going on at a restaurant so i had a couple of beers and then i came back and it was so bad i opened up the whiskey i remember and just sat there and had a couple of glasses of whiskey oh the memories i don't remember it i don't remember it at all I certainly don't remember him offering us any whiskey, Tinky. <laughs> Ever. No. That <laughs> man. No, do you want a whiskey? <laughs> yeah, got it, mate. I'll tell you what, mate. I'll pop over. Half past never, you fucking cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Right, let's go into our talking points for the show, shall we? And I, I'm going to pick out the thing that you already mentioned, old man, because it was the most, not the most, the best thing at all, but the most interesting thing on the show was the Miz versus Jerry Lawler for the WWE Championship. Damn it. Sorry, but my prerogative. All right, Bobby Brain. <laughs> or Britney Spears. Yeah. You, <laughs> you don't know which one. <laughs> yeah, him as well. I'd forgotten that this was a thing at the time but when i saw that this match was going to happen i was like oh i remember this and i remember liking the miz's run at this time i remember thinking fair play to him he's made it to the main event how could how could he have made it to the main event and yet he's done it fair you can't argue with it um regardless whether you like him or what he does whether you think he's any good he's done very very well to get there then they had this feud with him and jerry lawler and actually the match okay I think it's really good. I think it's a really good match. I think this is, for me, such a good example of where you don't need to do flashy stuff. You don't need to have great technical ability always. Just tell a really good story that people can invest in. Jerry Lawler, somebody who they made such a big deal out of him never having had a WrestleMania moment, having never won the WWE title despite his great career over the course of his of his um, life. And then you have this real heel that everyone genuinely dislikes who is a bit of a kind of joke champion. No, he's not really had a a very credible reign, if you like, in terms of beating lots of people and beating them cleanly. And then you put them together and you make such a big deal out of it. It's infinitely better than any title defense The Miz could have had against anybody else, really, on the roster. And even though you could never see Jerry Lawler headlining WrestleMania, you could still see him winning this match. There was still a chance. And I think even if it felt like 95% chance Miz was going to win, you feel like there was a small chance that Lawler might win. And therefore, it just was enough to hook everyone in. I just thought it was a really, 
a, a match that far outstripped its component parts simply because they built a great story around it and made you made you care in jo- about Jerry Lawler and made you dislike the Miz. I just thought it was it was excellent, expertly done by the company and by both both men in the match too. I agree 100%. This is effectively the show as well, like up until the main event because well we'll obviously get to the other stuff, but a lot of the other stuff kind of feels a bit inconsequential and there's some pretty like big matches on there and this is kind of the good and the bad of it in that they've built this little story obviously poor Lawler they say his mother's passed away that week now I'm no fan of Lawler but that's a horrible thing to have to go through I imagine and uh so that kind of gets the crowd into it that bit more and the crowd are proper into King like like you said Tinky the crowd don't like Miz they don't like him Miz is absolutely ripped as well which I completely forget being a thing but the bad to this is the commentary the commentary is awful as you said but at the same time I was also really thankful I didn't have to listen to Jerry Lawler on commentary so you've got to like, you know, you've got to pick your fights haven't you because when, when this match happened I'll go back to what you were saying in a second man. but I did think to myself when I saw the Miz and Lawler having a match at the beginning I had that little feeling at the bottom of my stomach a little gurgle thinking oh god this is going to be shit and I was pleasantly surprised like what you boys said but I did think to myself at least we haven't got to listen to him on commentary so that was something at least I would have taken an hour of Jerry Lawler in his sad voice then listen to Michael Cole and Booker <laughs> T during this match I mean we'll go we'll go through the rest of the card but there's a couple of instances with this with the commentary where for me not to hate this match with that commentary is such credit <laughs> to Miz and King because Cole is intolerable in this role that he's playing during this match and also the match previous as well like horrendous just absolutely awful. He, we've talked about here on Michael Cole before. He's just not good at it, to be honest. And Booker T is, he solidified his position as the worst commentator, I think, ever. And ever will be as well. You could have someone vomiting for two hours and it would make more sense than he <laughs> talks during this show. He's fucking horrendous. If you know what I'm saying. Dog. (laughs) You know what? I don't think Michael Cole's bad at the role. I just think the role shouldn't exist. That's the problem. I I think Michael Cole, actually, if you just take him as a heel who you're supposed to hate, I think he's great. I think he's absolutely brilliant. I think he genuinely gets people to hate him. Mm. I think he is obnoxious. Did you genuinely dislike him? The problem is, is he is effectively also the guy you've got to listen to for three hours because he's the play by play commentator. So it just doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, just a little bit of a slightly different perspective, Mm. which is that. He's not bad at it at all. If he could just be here for 10 minutes now and again, you'd be like, wow, what a heel. But he's not. He's there for the whole broadcast. There's a bit also on the commentary where Michael Cole says, it's like Back to the Future. I feel like I've gone back to 1985. They don't go back to 1985 and Back to the Future, you fucking idiot. Clearly hasn't seen the film. An absolute moron. Fuck Michael Cole. <laughs> In terms of this match, though, the match is great. And so is the so is the storyline leading up to it. The pop when Alex Riley gets kicked out and thrown out of the match is absolutely tremendous. The crowd can't believe their luck. There are some absolutely lovely dreadful drop kicks from Jerry Lawler, but he's about <laughs> sixty, so fair fucking play to him. He still gets up better than I could. And this is one of those rare instances where there is a "This is awesome" chant really, really early in the match, really early in the match. And ordinarily, I find that really annoying but I was like do you know what fair play do you not mean like fair play because you probably um, you might not have wanted to but you you didn't expect to see Jerry Lawler in a world championship match so why not and and what 
you we've always talked about before, and I know you're a big proponent of this, Tinky, is the continuity. There's a very easy storyline behind this because when he comes out and says, Oh, I've never had a main I've never had a match at WrestleMania and I've never won the world title, you'd be like, But yeah, you're fucking right. Because all of his WrestleMania moments are him on commentary that I can think of, you know, well, yeah. which is true up until this point. So it's just a really clever way of, of the way they kind of go back and pull from their own history and their own narrative and are able to make something out of it, which is something they just don't it's so rare that they do that when they do do that it really stands out as a really great creative piece of writing which realistically shouldn't be that hard if you had any kind of effort involved in blocking your wrestling matches well and also like to tinky's point earlier as well like this is the perfect thing for miz to do and you've got a match at the start of the show it's not a world title match but he's the number one contender for the world heavyweight title alberto del rio he's fighting the intercontinental tight uh champion in kofi kingston it's like this doesn't make any sense yeah, I mean, like, you just look at all the other people he could have wrestled. I'm look, looking through the card. Yeah. Like Ray Mysterio could have been the guy he wrestled. Now, it probably would have technically been a better match, mm. but, but no, but nowhere near as notable, nowhere near as interesting. Yeah. I just think that it was a very good choice. And I also think that this is the kind of thing where I think WWE very often can get these things quite right. They're quite good at getting these things right. The match itself, Jerry Lawler, pretty much his entire offense is pinning combinations of some kind. He a like couple of, roll, couple of roll, punches as well. Yeah, a couple of punches, attempt at a pile driver. Does it does he even I think he does a crossbody as well at one point. Yeah, he does. But the majority of it is rolling people, rolling Miz up, getting him in a small package or, a, you know, a, some other version of a, another type of pinning combination. And it just really builds into that right from the start. It builds into the idea that he could win. Like he could just get a fluke victory and become champion. I just think they built it really well. They didn't ask them to do anything complex. They didn't ask them to do anything silly. They went at a pace that Jerry Lawler was able to manage and didn't blow him up as well. So it was just all just really well done, like really well plotted out really well thought about and to michael cut the point of michael carl so if he'd have just been on commentary for this match it would have been fantastic because he was i thought brilliant in this in this role contrary to what you said old man i thought he was very i was able to deal with him during this match because they had him really be the cheerleader for the miz and he had been all the way through this whole run and of course you know this leads to his match with jerry lawler at wrestlemania which maybe a lot of people won't necessarily like as we've discussed before but also Ultimately, just in terms of what he did during this this thing was was really good. Um, Michael Cole celebrating wildly at the end was just <laughs> excellent. The Miz throwing being thrown into Michael Cole at the ring announcer station got a massive pop. I just thought it was really well done all the way through. The problem, as I said, is that Michael Cole didn't just turn on the heel for this match. If he'd have just sort of stayed doing it straight all the way through until we got to this match and then cheered on the mm. Miz. We, we'd have been fine, but he just did it throughout. And then you're like, well, it doesn't make sense anymore. I must admit, I did I did very much like him standing up when The Miz came out and applauding him. Yes. yes but but the, the worst thing about this match is the commentary, as old man said, and it's, it is the forced arguments between Booker T and Michael Cole. Poor, and you know me, I think Josh Matthews is useless. But poor Josh Matthews doesn't fucking stand a chance. He just doesn't know what he's doing. He's just trying his best to... To try and call some semblance of a wrestling match in the middle, and it's just an absolute mess. I was thinking about this more generally, actually, and why it doesn't work like it used to. Like we've last week, uh, we watched Saturday Night's Main Event five, and one of the highlights of those Saturday Night's Main Event shows, indeed any show from that era, is the interplay between the two commentators, the talking and the back and forth, and the arguments about whether the babyface was right to do the thing they did or the heel was right to do the thing they did. The reason that doesn't work anymore, in my opinion, is not necessarily because the commentators aren't as good, but I actually think they've just got less time 
to get that stuff in unless they really forced it like Michael Cole and Booker T during, did during this match. Because the action's moving at such a pace compared to mm. what it used to, there's not so many lulls for them to, to actually get into that conversation all the time. And I, and I think that's what it is. I think ultimately that they're, they're, the, the wrestling is so nonstop that they're constantly calling the action such a pace that they haven't really got the time to build up those sort of really organic arguments between two people. Yeah, because Booker T is... Like he's like Tommy said, he's forcing the argument and he talks so fast during this whole show. To your point as well, Tinky, like about Michael. I don't think he's necessarily doing a bad job. He's intolerable, I think, because of what Tommy said. It's the forced arguments. If this had been him and Josh Matthews, who and I can't believe I'm gonna say this. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, I don't I can't believe if you're gonna say what I think you're gonna say. I think he's pretty fucking good in this show. Because he tell me he did not just say that <laughs> because of what he's working with. I mean, I need to emphasize this again to everyone. Booker <laughs> T, he's working with Booker <laughs> T and he is. Oh, my God. And I love Booker T as well. I lo- loved his like, in-ring stuff. I like his enthusiasm, but oh, he's absolutely horrendous. But I can't remember what I was going to say. I, I went down to Josh Matthews wormhole. <laughs> or a rabbit so, hole. What, what is it, rabbit or worm? Can't remember. In your world, something in space, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's a old, black hole. In old man's world, it really doesn't matter what it, it's supposed to be. <laughs> he can just say whatever he wants. Either way, either way, he's found a hole and he's burrowing himself into it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so speaking of holes and burrowing themselves into it, Booker T early on. So uh, I think Lawler is throwing a couple of punches. Like Tommy said, he's like 60. He has the physique of a man in his 60s. Absolutely fine. He's got a little paunch. Absolutely no problem with that. He's earned that little paunch. Booker T says he's never looked in better shape. (laughs) And I'm a bit like, I mean, come on. Like, I know you're trying to put him over big, but let's not patronise the poor cunt. It's like saying, oh, he's supposed to make it down to the ring without a walker. (laughs) (laughs) And, And Oh, he has pissed himself. Old man, what would you like to pick out? I'm going to get, it's a very little short segment, but Vicky Guerrero. I mean, let's be honest, I think we were all going to go for the Miz and Lawler. And unsurprisingly, as the host with the roast, Tinky gobbled that up like a, little, <laughs> like a wiener off the barbecue. So Vicky Guerrero, we all know, we've talked about this before, is fantastic in what she does. So in this little segment, she is begging for her boyfriend, Dolph Ziggler, Tom's favourite, to be rehired. And she's begging, and she's begging to old uh, Teddy Long. And then Teddy Long appears with his great music. Doesn't do his dance. He appears twice. Teddy two times. Doesn't do his dance either time, which is a bit disappointing. But but he is going to go get the papers, get the papers. (laughs) (laughs) But the heat on her is like the Miz. The Miz gets some good heat. Alex Riley gets some good heat. Any other show, I'd be like, gosh, good heat. The heat on Vicky Guerrero is so good. It's so good that old Teddy Two Times brings out Kelly Squared, who apparently has been sacked. She was going out with Drew McIntyre. So uh, so let me let me fill in some context here. So <laughs> clearly Teddy Long has been out of action for some time, for some reason. I don't know what the reason is. Possibly injured or possibly... Um, there was some kind of administrative thing that was yeah, going on. In, in fairness, the injury would account for his lack of dancing. Yeah, that's true. 
So, so Vicky Guerrero has taken over as as SmackDown general manager for a time, and as part of that, she has sacked Kelly Kelly. Then Teddy Long has come back or been reinstated or whatever the the scenario is, and he's then fired Dolph Ziggler, and now he rehires Kelly Kelly. I'm glad you were paying attention because all I could hear, all, all I could hear was the heat on her, and she just like she's not doing her screechy, screechy. Excuse me. She's just doing it really subtle. She's sad. She's doing the Jerry Lawler sad. Excuse me. Yeah. That's what she's doing. And uh, I just thought she's fucking fantastic. Just so good. Just so good. And it was um, it was a little bump that the show needed because of what comes before. I think because um, obviously we'll go through the whole show, but there's a tag match before it, which almost kills half of the 12,000 crowd. I think like th- these poor fuckers, they just hurt better. So this Vicky Guerrero segment, I like the stuff of Vicky Guerrero and Teddy Long. And this is obviously to try and build towards what happens at WrestleMania 27. I think, is it Snooky is involved? Yeah. Snooky. Whatever. And Jay Wow, I believe from the Jersey Shore. Oh, I don't know about him, but he's not, he's not in the match though, is he? Him? Jay Wow's a girl. <laughs> how how am I fucking supposed to know these things? Jay Wow ain't gonna be no dude, is it? I, I, what? How how do I know? <laughs> I'll tell you, mate. Honestly, his first four seasons of the Jersey Shore are fucking phenomenal. Absolutely amazing. The you're, bit with the situation. You're never going to convince me of that. I I you, I could I I could even watch it and and still and love it and still not be convinced that it was any good. Yeah, it turns out JY wasn't involved, but the bit where the situation fucking knocks himself out by headbutting a wall in Florence is one of the greatest moments in TV history. So is the situation a man or a woman now? Uh, it's a man, very much. All man, actually. So anyway, this is obviously building to that that whole thing. Um, and they, they previously on the show brought out Trish Stratus back to the WWF um, to, to promote something, which we'll talk about later on. Here, though, she comes out. Because after Kelly Kelly's reinstated and she comes out to confront Vicky Guerrero, Lake will come out and attack Kelly Kelly. Trish Stratus then comes out, saves uh, Kelly Kelly, and then tries to do her Rana thing from the top oh. row and it botches it big time. And what I found it very interesting was the contrast between this and the restraint shown in, shown in the Miz Jerry Lawler match. Because if they had any sense about them, they would have not asked Trish to do this in Six Inch Hills. When she hasn't yeah. been wrestling for five years. Don't ask her to do this. Because that's fucking hard. And it really took the wind out of the sails of the fans. They were quite into this. They were quite excited by Trish Stratus coming out and helping Kelly Kelly. The minute she did that, there was this sort of collective groan. And it just let all the air out. And it was such a shame. Because as I say, they were into it. And I just thought that is the the complete opposite to what you then go on to do in the Miz Jerry Lawler match. Which is... You you know his limitations. You know what situation he's in. You just don't do anything particularly complex or difficult. And they tried it with this, and it didn't work. Well, and also they have it perfect. The crowded like cheering when Trish comes down, and they call back off, and then they call get halfway at the ramp, and then they're like, actually, you know, we can drag this out for a few more minutes. Let's do it. And that's like you said to you, that's when they just kill everyone. They would have been fine if they'd have just had her punch them both or close them yeah. out of the ring and let the let Lakel, the the full time wrestlers, take the bump. But no, they had her try and do the Rana in the corner thing, handstand Rana thing, which just oh, it was just awful. It's also it's also a really crap, unbelievable move because how are you going to be able to get that much grip from just pushing your ankles together to propel someone headfirst off the top rope? It's a rubbish move. At least if you've got your thigh muscles in. Like you do with a normal Hurricane Runner, you can imagine you get a good bit of grip. My favourite part about this segment was before the before 
Vicky Guerrero actually comes out. Michael Cole's having one of his giddy with excitement moments before. Yeah. And I remember him having this a couple of, like in one of the earlier shows we did, where he's there and he's like, I cannot wait for this match to come. <laughs> I think it's like John Cena versus Batista, some fucking shit like that. And he's like, I cannot wait. And I say, he's giddy. He's positively foaming at the mouth to watch The Miz versus Jerry Lawler. And then when Vicky Guerrero comes out, he looks genuinely gutted. And he goes, oh, Vicky, like <laughs> I would to my sister when I was a teenager, whose name is also Vicky. It's <laughs> our oh, Vicky, come on. But you're right, the heat on her is amazing. And I like the fact that she's she's toned down and she's doing her Jerry Lawler sad voice because it adds like a slight other... It just makes it seem different, doesn't it, from what it, what she was usually doing, her sh- usual shtick at that point. Mm. She's showing like a bit of humility. You know it's all going to come back to bite her in the ass in the long run, but she's showing a bit of humility and it gives a bit of the old, gives Teddy Long a bit of a rub as well, you know, which is which is quite entertaining. So, yeah, I thought this segment was, was quite fun, but you're right, Tinky, the, the, the Trish kind of that awful handstand runner in the corner is dreadful and it does take take the air out of the crowd which is if has anybody got anything else left on the segment to go or should we go because that's you a go. lovely segment which well, is I, which... I did have one thing actually obviously they didn't play Lake Horse music oh you're not enough for me <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I was after <laughs> for a minute then for a minute then Tom was angry with you for messing up his segue and then you mentioned that music as well oh, I don't matter anymore <laughs> it's just solid um, no the thing that I wanted to talk about was the um, was the Crowd, which is why I'm wearing full Golden State Warriors regalia today because it's in their stadium, in their arena, sorry. The Oracle well, they're, they're, their previous stadium. Yes, they're now in San Francisco. But I'll tell you what, this fucking crowd are so much they they give so much more than what is deserved for a lot of this card. They mustn't have many events in the Oracle and Oakland back in the day because they are loving every moment of it. Apart from that one specific bit, there's a segment earlier with Booker T and Trish Stratus that I'm sure we're going to talk about, which is so awful, so bad and ill-planned that the fact that not every fan in the arena tried to immediately kill themselves <laughs> is a testament to their staying power because fair play to our friends in Oakland because they are in everything they're in the elimination chamber matches they're up for it in the tag match that you talked about which is rubbish they're up for it I can't remember how much into the opening matches because I started watching that four months ago and spoiler alert I didn't go back and rewatch it so I'm relying <laughs> on four month old notes for the first match but the crowd were hot for the entire show and that made me enjoy some of the moments that weren't that I didn't think I would enjoy a hell of a lot more but then I did have a little bit of a cynical moment thinking where I was like is this the real crowd? I think it is. I think it is. Oh, I think God, you can God. usually you can usually tell. What what you can usually tell is that there's usually if it's not there's this baseline of noise that is underpinning everything and it is so obviously not you just look at the crowd and you can see they're not making that much noise. Yeah. Whereas this felt there were peaks and troughs of noise there wasn't just this constant level and it just yeah it, I'm pretty certain this is this is all real crowd noise. And they were great. So fair play, well done to our friends in Oakland, California and the surrounding area because we probably came from elsewhere mm. to watch it. But I thought the crowd in this were great and they made the entire show a lot more enjoyable than I expected it to be. Yeah. I mean, they're your friends. Ain't no friends of mine. Let's just get that out of there. They're <laughs> fucking listening. To your point, Tommy, you are 100% right because if we bring it back to missing the king, without the crowd being so into that and they're in it the whole way, they're like proper in it as well, like climbing in when... um. Ewan McGregor climbs into that toilet in train spotting by there in it that deep. Without that, that match is not good. And it makes the commentary even worse. 
they're into it as much as Tom appears to be into the Golden State Warriors yeah. by what he's dressed as right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is funny because I don't even support Golden State Warriors. It's like the hat and I really like the jersey. I'm not a big fan of Steph Curry, though. So, you know. Was that a girl or a boy? I don't... <laughs> oh. Well, no, just generally. I don't know. These people that you name, I just no idea anymore. I've got the situation or whatever his name was. You've got bloody K-Pod or whatever the name was. K-Pod? K-Pod. I don't know. I'm just making them <laughs> up. I can't remember what you said previously. It's J-Wire, you fool. Who are these people? <laughs> In actual context, beautiful. <laughs> Steph Curry is a, is a man and he's possibly the greatest shooter in the history of NBA. But anyway, that's that's regardless. When you say shooter, are you talking about like fighter or are you talking about a person who shoots <laughs> basketball who? Honestly, mate, he's one of the one of the shoot best shooters in the world. <laughs> but he's not Shooter McGavin, is he? With Scrappy See, McGowan. No, Shooter <laughs> McGavin is from uh, Happy Gilmore. Uh, I've never seen. Him. Oh, useless! Right, <laughs> get in the home. Get in your home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you, there you go. Right, this old man talk about getting into holes again. <laughs> <laughs> Get in that cornhole. So before we before we have the break, let's let's just talk about the Booker T. Tristratus segment, shall we, and get it out of the yeah. way. You see, you brought it up a minute ago, and I thought, let's just get out of the way. And I think, Tom, you're absolutely right. This might be one of the worst segments in WWE history for the pure fact that this is just an advert. This is All this is is an advert. So basically, they have Booker T. in the ring, and he announces Tristratus, introduces her, how she comes. She says he's one of the trainers from this W... So this WWE's tough enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he says. So then she comes out. Booker says that she looks marvelous and asks what she's been doing. And she says she's been working with the contestants of Tough Enough and a new catchphrase. Then she does one of the most awkward fucking things in the history of the world, combining The Rock uh, and various other people. So she says, finally, the Trish has come back to Oakland to deliver stratisfaction to the millions and millions, sucker. Genuinely, a moment where vomit came into my mouth. I'm not. I'm not even joking. It was absolutely fucking disgusting. I'm surprised there wasn't blood in it as well. Trish Stratus, person I've got a lot of respect for. Mm. You could see it in her eyes. She's like, <laughs> "This is awful," and I know it's awful. But they're paying me a decent chump of change. Chump of change. <laughs> a little chump of change. <laughs> A chunk of change, a bit of change. Careful, old man, you're going down one of those wormholes again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those cornholes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor old Trish. Yeah, no, this is terrible. And then um, Booker says, tell me she did not just say that in typical Booker T fashion. And then Booker T says that Tough Enough will premiere straight after Raw the night after WrestleMania. My only other line is this is absolutely terrible. It looks so unrehearsed and unplanned as well. It's so clunky. It's so unbelievably shit. And do you know what they could have done to make it? uh, It would have maybe cost them a bit of money. They could have had, because they've already announced Stone Cold Steve Austin as being one of the coaches on Tough Enough. Have him out there as well. That would at least get yeah. a pop from the crowd. That would make, you know, just get him out he there. He probably like, fucking refused. He was like, I don't fucking be involved in that shit. It's just awful. Like, but it, oh, it's, it's dreadful. It, it's, it goes on for about five minutes. And I was like, this is shit. And no one gives a fuck. Here we go. We're going to tell you about a show that's not now. Give us a reaction. Yeah. Fuck off. Well, fuck off. And, all, and also, what you've now, we've now had two promo segments on a pay-per-view. I mean, we talked about this before. It's just poor. But... Surely you want to reach a, an audience. <laughs> yeah. Now, one thing I will say is I don't know what channels Raw and SmackDown were on. I'm guessing one of them will have housed Tough Enough. So why not still on there? So that then you're getting the little push. They probably did. 
in fairness. I didn't uh, I didn't do a Stephen like he did the other month where he watched the Raw and SmackDown before the pay-per-views, the fucking idiot. But um, <laughs> my main note on this was T, because I'm cool like that, and Trish, tough enough, question mark. It's certainly tough enough listening to Booker T. <laughs> you're right though Why? this is obviously pay-per-view time as well so you're, yeah. you're reaching an audience of about 200,000 people I assume at this sort of time why aren't you that's... promoting this on Raw where you get 2.5 million viewers a week yeah I hadn't even thought of that <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that I was thinking it was shit because it was shit this is the time that, yeah because it was shit and this is the time where realistically you should be having the blow-offs to the storylines that have happened on <laughs> the TV blow-off. show I know it doesn't necessarily <laughs> work the, the farts of the uh, but like i just do i just think i didn't even think about it from a from actual like a business standpoint from a viability standpoint mm. of the fact that you're not getting anywhere near as big an audience share as you would do if you had it on just your tv show this would actively discourage me to watch tough enough as well and i'm someone who actually quite enjoys tough enough this would and i did watch the series but this if i'd have seen this before i think i would have been less likely to watch it <laughs> based on just the, how bad how bad it is it's just absolutely horrendous and also just a little quick note i've had to do me and work just because it was bugging me in the ad they show tough enough on usa network which is where all was shown yeah at the time and obviously still is fucking embarrassing stupid cunts <laughs> Right, well, let's take a little break there, shall we? We'll take a little break, we'll come, step away for a second, and then we'll come back and deal with the rest of the show. Old man's off for an angry one. <laughs> yeah. I'm fucking dead, dead. I'll just come back, blood everywhere, semen <laughs> on my forehead. Lovely old child. <laughs> Standard. Sorry to bother you, you keep it to yourself all day. What are your thoughts about tonight? Oh, man. I'll tell you, Matt, so many things are going through my mind. I mean, you know, this... Uh, it was something I've been looking forward to my entire life. This week should have probably been the most exciting, the most uh, enjoyable week ever for me. But then, of course, you know, uh, a week ago today, my mom passed away. And uh, that's what I'm thinking about tonight still. That's all I've thought about all week long. You know, it's it's um, impossible to put into words what that's like. Um, but I realize at the same time, you know, things have to... Uh, continue on and and this match is going to take place whether I'm ready or not so I I realize I've got to somehow try to stay focused and and do what I've got to do to win this match Um, you know Matt I've had an okay career I won a match or two in my day but uh, a couple things I've never done and that's win the WWE title and compete at Wrestlemania and I got a chance tonight to accomplish both of those goals and so uh, you know, I've had such an outpouring of friends and family uh, throughout this situation with my mom, and I, I can't tell you how many people told me they're behind me tonight, and I don't want to let anybody down. I'm just going to go out there and do what i got to do to win this match. We're all rooting for you, King. Good luck. Thanks, man. So, welcome back to the show. Uh, we are now going to go through the show in chronological order. At least what we haven't already covered. Now, we only covered one match of five in that first half of of the podcast, but we have got rid of some of the worst bits of the show as well within that. So hopefully this will be plain sailing. Well, I assume they're some of the best parts of the show. You guys might not might not agree. There might be worst to come. So this is the final step before WrestleMania 27 or a final stop before WrestleMania 27, I believe they actually say. I've just read my notes incorrectly. That's all. And we looks like we've got two Elimination Chamber matches from the intro video. Commentators for the night are Michael Cole, Josh Matthews and Booker T. We've already spoken about them and we're all very delighted at that. 
So when introduced, Michael Cole comments that Alberto Del Rio is already in the main event of WrestleMania 27, which obviously didn't happen because he wasn't in the main event of WrestleMania 27. In fact, wasn't he in the first match of the show? He was. Open the old curtain switcher. Edge's last match for a very long mm. time. Del Rio then comes to the ring and he cuts a promo. He's committed to excellence, unlike the crowd on hand. He says six men are going to go through pain just to lose to him at WrestleMania. He then says that Kofi Kingston is trash. Then Kofi's music hits. And we have our first match of the night, which is a match that Tom probably watched four months ago. It's Alberto Del Rio against Kofi Kingston. Mm. This one lasts for ten and a half minutes. And it ends when Kofi taps out to Alberto Del Rio's cross arm breaker. Tom, I'll go to you first. In as chronologically speaking, at least you definitely watched this first. Yeah, exactly. Um, so hot off the press from the 11th of September 2021, <laughs> when I watched this for the first time, and the only time because I didn't go back and watch it either. So here we go. Then you ready? Strap yourself in, lads. So first of all, I wrote that I love that Alberto Del Rio has his own ring answer. I also said that the King is going to face the Miz later. Fuck me. That was where I was four, four months ago, three months ago. Kofi's good, but it's not where he needs to be yet, but with no context behind that. So I don't know why I wrote that. I wrote, the crowd weren't as interested in this, but Alberto Del Rio was getting a lot of pops. And then it says, Alberto Del Rio wins with a cr- cross arm breaker. Anne looks really happy with himself. Who's Anne? And then, exactly, she's one of the Jersey Shore, mate. Along with the scenario and PG tips or whatever they were. <laughs> and, then, and then I wrote, why are they talking about WrestleMania? <laughs> <laughs> And then the, then the notes trail off because Tom realised what he's done. <laughs> and then I didn't come back to it until a couple of days ago. <laughs> so that was when I realised I was watching the wrong thing. I'd love if the rest of it was still there. Like, why are they talking about WrestleMania? Oh, fuck! <laughs> Shit, this is the wrong bloody show! What am I supposed to be watching? Yeah. Oh, it's fucking Hell in a Cell 2011. I, you know, it's easily done. I did it in my intro, Tom. So it's easily done. I completely yeah. understand why you might have done that. You know what? I, I comment, I've commented a few times on this uh, show that there's nothing better than a podcast where literally all that happens is people read out Wikipedia. Because we've been guilty of that a few times. Yeah. I found the thing that's worse, which is you literally reading completely dry the notes <laughs> to a match that you watched four months ago. <laughs> so we had a, a little meeting in my work, which is all to do with like specific circumstances to do with students, some of them very sad and definitely not to be laughed at. But we had one instance where it was just a, it was a particularly bad situation, but they're all anonymous. So people get a little explanation, but then students can attach evidence. So I read out the evidence in character. So I just read out this student's like half-assed attempt at giving a reason for not submitting something in character. And the, the crowd went wild, but not quite as wild as they went for Ricardo Rodriguez. Who gets the second biggest lot of heat on the show, I think? They are booing this shit into him. Ricardo Rodriguez. I always called him Roberto Rodriguez. But it's oh, we've Roberto. had this before. We've had yeah. this before. Ricardo so, Roberto Rodriguez. Yeah. Yeah. So Rylan Rodriguez II does his little promo thing and he's getting some fantastic heat. And he does his Alberto Del Rio. And then Del Rio's music hits. And I'm in fucking heaven, boys. I'm in absolute heaven. That fucking tune. Oh, oh just fucking amazing. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. I just can't get over how much I fucking love his music. Every time I hear it, I fucking love it. It's the bass in the background. Beautiful. And then you mentioned the promo we kept thinking. Very average. And then it's introduced by Kofi Kingston's music. Just 
I know it never really dawned on me how fucking awful it is. SOS. Is it is it really bad? SOS. Is it really bad? Or is it just that you were noticing it in comparison to Alberto Del Rio's music? So when it kicks in and you've got another again, you've got another nice little bass line in the background, but it's the SOS thing that it kicks off with that I really I do like, I never liked. Awful is pushing it, but that's what I wrote on my notes. So if we're going to go down uh, Tommy's route, a very average promo from Del Rio, interrupted by Kofi's pretty awful music, full stop. What initials would you rather they said on Kofi's music? Oh, um, I'd have no initials. No? None at all? No, because the SOS doesn't make any sense. He's all stuck on a fucking desert island, is he? I do know. Well, because he comes down to the rain. <laughs> <laughs> Although he is, there is a lot of sand on him. So uh, maybe. And he does have a little beach towel rolled up when he comes down. You make a good point, though. What is the SOS about? Yeah. I'm shit at wrestling. Come help me. But he's not shit at wrestling. No, but, but, you know, character, I mean, shit at wrestling. Mm, According to my notes from four months ago, he's not where he needs to be yet. So (laughs) that's what it is. That's what he's saying. He's lost. He's lost because he doesn't know where he needs to be yet. That's why he's saying SOS. because He's saying, help me. I'm not as good as I'm going to be later. <laughs> Tell you what, we fucking know that, boys. Can't fuck that logic. Cannot fuck no. that logic. Then the match starts, and it starts off fine initially. Booker T, so he's fucking out. Tell you what, he's in hot, to be fair. He's in hot. He starts rambling about how Kofi needs to tell Del Rio, and I'm going to have to read this because I wrote it word for word. Bow down, saying, Daddy, no more. And that's what Kofi needs to make Del Rio do to him. <laughs> And I'm like, what's going on? Like, you've got infinite analogies to use. It could be a tree crying for no more as a lumberjack cuts it down. That would have been better. Bow down saying, daddy, no more, which is just fucking horrendous. The match kind of plods along, plods along. Like, Dario's Dario's doing what he should be doing. He's beating up Kofi. And then Kofi makes his comeback and it kicks right into gear, to be fair. They move at a little cracking liquor pace. Not a liquor paint, a liquor pace. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is going on with you tonight? I, I mean, I thought, I always thought that my role was that of the idiot on this show. <laughs> but it turns out... Well, you dress for it anyway, mate. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, uh, sure, is... imagine if I imagine if I had the bandana on, boys. Oh, oh. you've let yourself down, and most people you've let us down. But I thought the last three or four minutes of this is cracking stuff. But I do have issue. I was very aware when I was watching this. I was like, he goes to WrestleMania 27, Del Rio. Spoiler alert: doesn't win the title. He's been going on about destiny for about 27 years at this point, and everyone's like, cool, he's definitely going to win the title. But you have Kofi kicking out of his finisher by his kind of semi his backup finisher should we say his signature maneuver and i was like why is he kicking out i know kofi's intercontinental champion but just don't have him use it you don't need kofi to kick out of it because as tom said he's not where he needs to be (laughs) at this moment in time and if he was then you could be kicking out of it but altogether as a whole taking it just as a match ignoring those little things i thought this was pretty fucking good i gotta be honest i enjoyed it so my thought on it is that it was decent. You know, I didn't think it was quite as good as Old Man thought it was, but I, I thought it was decent. I thought it was a decent opener. I think the problem for me is that it just doesn't have a place here. Mm. Alberto Del Rio is already in the main event of the Royal Rumble, uh, at, <laughs> the WrestleMania, having won the Royal Rumble. But he's not in the main event, as we know, because doesn't end up really wrestling in the main event and doesn't win the title. So it feels very much like a U-turn by WWE, this. 
as if mm-hmm. they kind of thought, well, we might go with him in the main event. And then we're like, nah, let's not do it. It's also worth mentioning that Del Rio is now much more problematic than he was at the time, or at least we didn't know anything about him at the time. And I remember actually really liking his character and his gimmick. I just thought he did do it very well. And the whole Destiny thing did make sense until he lost the didn't win the title at WrestleMania. So they just sort of almost got cold feet right at the end of the mm-hmm. bit when they're about to deliver him to the to the main event and to the title. Just went, oh, I'm not so sure, and then didn't do it. But um, it was a good match. Also, um, I always get this. With these themed pay-per-views, so you've got Elimination Chamber, Hello to Sell, and yeah, is that it? Oh, I suppose they haven't got a ladders. Money in the Bank, TLC. Money in the Bank. Yeah, yeah, but apart from those two. <laughs> they should always start with one, I think. You should always start with one. And especially with the Chamber, they're long matches. Have them bookend the show, right? Yeah. And then if you, you can shove two. some... yeah. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, if you're only having one, you can't do half the match and then cut it and then cut <laughs> it of the next bit of the Hey, end. mate, you've just stumbled upon something there. I think yeah, that is absolute gold because you could attribute like a points reward to who wins like the first half and then the second oh, half, and it would confuse yeah. everyone and it would be awful. But what a sight right. to behold! And what a podcast like it. it would be. Yeah. yeah it was all right yeah. it was all right as i said it just didn't really feel like this had any place on the show mm. and you know i guess and also to your point like yeah if you're gonna do it then do it to put del rio really over strong he shouldn't i don't think kofi should have been very um competitive here and i don't I certainly don't think he should have kicked out of his finisher i think to tommy's point like he's getting a decent reaction del rio i think like ricardo rodriguez gets booed out the building but Del Rio doesn't, and he's not. And they should have had him beat fucking Hornswoggle or something. They should have had him break a match mm. and just beat him in like four seconds. Chuck the arm breaker on that poor cunt. Have it. Mm. Done. Lovely. On the Tinky scale of match decency, the decent is better than adequate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, decent's better uh, than adequate. And speaking of adequate, though, the dark match of this, of this pay-per-view, is the match that I believe coined the phrase adequate. Because the dark match in this was Ted DiBiase versus Daniel Bryan, mm. which I believe oh, on the pay-per-view that we should, that I should have been watching rather than this one back in September of last year, opened with that inadequate match. So there we go, full circle. <laughs> so, so, so they continued that feud for six months. <laughs> Well, it was adequate, wasn't it? I mean, they weren't going to throw that kind of gold away, were they? Well, do you, well, do you reckon they built to adequate? <laughs> what do you think this, <laughs> yeah. this match was like? Bloody hell. Well, this is why this was dark, and the next one wasn't. Yeah. So let's move on from the, this, this uh, from this match and go to what's next. Right, backstage, Randy Orton is pacing. The commentators oh. talk about Orton's mindset ahead of his Elimination Chamber appearance. It just really popped me because he's pacing and then he just stares off camera. And then it cuts away and I'm like, oh, that's it. We've had this conversation about like them pretending that the cameras aren't there. What's he staring at? Is <laughs> someone's trousers falling down? But also just you know, forget the staring. Again, the camera's there. Has he just agreed <laughs> as a competitor in a future match? to just stand there whilst the camera looks at him for a few seconds and he walks back and forth. Like, what? What? <laughs> in what reality would that have? Like, oh, fucking hell. It's so, so stupid. Right, sorry. Then we get backstage. Todd Grisham is with Edge. Oh, Todd Grisham's hair. 
So here, Edge says, uh, he knows, hang on, right, so this is going to be difficult because I've done something weird. I've put it in quotation marks and then summarized for some reason. <laughs> so Edge says he knows no champ has successfully defended the title in a chamber match in the past five years, but he says he's won a chamber match in the past. He's then interrupted by Drew McIntyre, a fresh-faced, clean-shaven Drew McIntyre, who says Edge took something important to him. Kelly Kelly, as we spoke about earlier on. So presumably Drew McIntyre and Kelly Kelly have been an item of some kind. And now he'll take the title from Edge. So somehow Edge has been involved with Kelly Kelly and is the reason why Vicky Guerrero sacked her or something. I don't know. Edge then tells McIntyre that the title and Kelly Kelly have something in common. They'll never be seen with him. I, the acting from Drew McIntyre is so bad. Like, I think comparatively that old randy orton walk and snare is meryl streep compared to (laughs) drew mcintyre serves up and you what you said about him being he's not entirely clean shaven yet he looks so baby faced and clean shaven if you know i mean i didn't know that doesn't make any sense yeah he's got the weirdest shaped chin the best thing that ever happened to that man (laughs) was growing a beard Definitely, yeah, I, I totally agree. He, he's never going to be taken seriously with that beard. No, no, he's got, he's just got a weird, he's got a weird chin. It's so, <laughs> I don't understand it. It's just so weird and pointy and like, yeah, yeah, you know, but not. <laughs> You've just given someone's chin a sound effect. Was that a name of another character from Bloody Jersey Shore? <laughs> yeah, it was channeled my inner Menzies then. Um, but like, you know, in the way that like. I guess um, what's his name? Neville's got a bit of like a about him, hasn't he? But this this bit turned down with old uh, Drew McIntyre, so it's not as interesting. But can you put into words what yeah means? <laughs> well, you know, just a little like scrabbling around in a bin looking for something. <laughs> it's someone scrabbling around on the floor, you know, what I mean, looking for something, be like yeah, get a what? bin, have a little have a little drag of a cigarette you found on the floor, you know, and, all that sort of and stuff. And so the shape of their chin denotes the fact that they've been dragging it along the floor. Is that the idea? I don't, I don't know, but do you know what I mean? It, it does. It is. <laughs> oh man, any comments on that? <laughs> um, all I noted was that Edge actually cuts uh, quite a decent promo, and then Drew McIntyre comes in, young Drew, as I'm going to christen him. Sorry, young Drew, chin of a in Tom's words. Um, I think you used the term for a move that Kelly Squared did in the Royal Rumble 2022 to get inexpert. That's how I would describe this promo. It's very clunky and he looks like... Yeah, he does. Like, yeah. You know, you know, you, you fucking know. Um, he does look like yeah, and everyone knows what I mean. I can't define it. I can't define it, but you know. So just before we get this promo, after Orton has agreed to have some people film him for seven or eight seconds, doing a stare distance, a stare distance, a mid-distance stare, like he's in the Freeman's catalogue. Booker T offers some great insight. So I think it's Josh Matthews asks him, what is it like to be in one of these Elimination Chamber matches? And he nonsensically rambles about how they're hard to win. And I was like, fuck, Um, no, well, I've never won one. Yeah, there there aren't that many people. When you take into account the entire population of the world, there aren't that Mm. many people who've won an Elimination Chamber (laughs) match. There's quite a lot when you take it into account the entire population of WWE's roster. But, you know, when you're taking just the world, then there isn't many. Do you know a little bit of trivia about Drew McIntyre? So his name is actually Andrew, which I quite like. But it's Andrew McLean Galloway IV. Oh, wow. That's strong, isn't it? Very strong. Um, And also, 
that's another thing. I'm on his Wikipedia. This could be this could be Byron Faxon of the Week territory without wanting to step on your toes, old man. Fuck off, um, me. The uh, the guy who became engaged to American wrestler uh, Taryn Terrell, known as Tiffany, in 2009, and they were married in Las Vegas in May 2010. They then divorced in May 2011. <laughs> yeah, Taryn Terrell. She was in. Uh, she was obviously in WWE as Tiffany, but she was in TNA as Taryn Terrell. You thought you called him the Galloway then, which was quite interesting. <laughs> Did I? I yeah. liked, you know, the that's, Galloway that's a, married. Uh... <laughs> that's a better name, to be fair, isn't it? Right. Is that an, again? It could be a character from Jersey Shore, according to what you said. Mm. So no, 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 it couldn't be because they're all Italian Americans. Sorry. So the situation's fine, but the Galloway's not. Well, his name's. Well, I don't know what a Galloway is for a start. All right, fine, whatever. It's the way to the gallows, um... which was where they used to hang people. Uh, we then get the Elimination Chamber hype video, which I didn't watch because I went out and made myself a cup of tea whilst this was on. And I was self safe in the knowledge that it was long enough that I could do that, that Hang I could on. boil the kettle and brew it all at once. You missed probably the low light of the show, which is Toby Max Ignition, which is the official theme of Elimination Chamber. We've obviously watched, uh, well, you've watched 58 shows so far, Tinky. They are, this is my 54. This is definitely the most underwhelming theme song i think we've had from a pay-per-view really poor toby well, mac is I, better I, than this i think <laughs> i don't i don't know if that's true but the the thing is i would when you say underwhelming it feels like you're expecting a certain level of quality no no well i'm you know what i'm expecting to bring it back to tommy's point adequate fine and it wasn't adequate no this is the kind of thing where if it came on on the radio i'd change station <laughs> cool yeah, because I'd be scared that if I was driving somewhere, I'd fall asleep and possibly injure myself or others, or both, which is worse. So, up next is the Elimination Chamber match. The first of the two Elimination Chamber matches. This one's for the World Heavyweight Championship. Now, what we did in our previous Elimination Chamber is we did go through each bit of this match. But that might take a long time, so I'm, I'm giving you the chance to stop me from doing that now. So, I just have a very quick note. I meant to, after I had my little Toby Mac rant, I meant to cover this. The video for the Elimination Chamber is pretty good. But what they do that's very good, because it saves the ring announcer, or Justin Jizzle, having to explain the rules because they're in the video. Mm. And I was like, lovely, very simple, simple and effective. But the problem is, is that the commentary team then feel the need to explain the rules to us. Yes, yes, they do, which is true. At least that doesn't waste any time because there's other stuff going on at the same time. Whereas if the mm. announcer had to be wasting time. So so before anything happens anyway, Teddy Long appears for the first time uh, tonight. He says he's fired Dolph Ziggler. And so he's been replaced in the chamber match. And who's he been replaced by? It's Savio Vega. No, it's Big <laughs> Show himself. The Big Show is the surprise <laughs> entrant into the match. Big Show himself. The Big Show. <laughs> big Show himself. The Big Show. I just wanted to quickly talk about entrance music for a second because we we this we focus on the important stuff, didn't we? Drew McIntyre's old entrance music is so awful, and it starts. I can't remember if it does it this time, but I can remember we used to start with like a really crap drawing of him appearing yeah. on the screen, and then it's like, "What was <laughs> once is now mine." <laughs> it's just awful. It's and this is when. They went through a phase, and we've heard it already with all with all Kofers as well, where they have what is effectively just a really shit song as their entrance music, rather than a piece of music. And oh god, this uh, McIntyre's music is absolutely awful. But what I did like about when Drew McIntyre came down 
comes down. Kane's already in the cage. And then he basically, Drew McIntyre, exposes his bulge to Kane by <laughs> standing on the top rope with his balls right in Kane's eye line, which uh, I quite enjoyed. Well, in fairness, he probably wasn't concentrating on his balls. He was probably looking at his chin because he probably realised what it was. And he was like, oh my God, what's going on? Can, yeah, I can hear that. I can hear that chin sounds familiar. What does it sound like? Oh, it sounds like... <laughs> So the first two in the ring are Rey Mysterio and Edge. There's a big pop for Edge here. In terms of the action, before the next entry, we get a backdrop by Edge over the top rope. <laughs> you fucking love a backdrop. <laughs> Definitely. This is from this is from the inside to the outside of the ring, onto the grating, <laughs> I'll have you know, old man, all right? Um, then there's a Hurricane Runner by Mysterio and Edge, and then that's all I've got written down. So I haven't got a huge amount of notes before we get the next entry. I got something. One, what the fuck is Lex on? Yes. Two. Yes. Why are they pretending it's Lexon when it's clearly plastic? Three. If this Lexon, which is apparently half an inch thick glass, it would kill people. So what you've got is you've got Big Show, who's admittedly a very large man. He is constantly, and I mean constantly, the cretin, banging on this Lexon glass in inverted commas, making the noise that you know what happens when massive ham fists hit really flimsy plastic. That's the noise that is making. If you're going to keep up this facade, don't throw people through it, which they do numerous times anyway, and don't let people touch it. It's supposed to be glass. Are they only readers on this pay-per-view? They can throw people into the pods through the Lexon because it happens numerous times. And Josh Matthews can't get enough of <laughs> Lexon. He can't, he is he is got Lexon Tourette's. He's Lexon, Lexon, Lex. He's loving it. He's just having the time of his life chatting about Lexon. And he's just, he says, I've got about four notes in just this first match where it references Josh Matthews talking about the Lexon. <laughs> it's actually Lexan, I believe, that they're talking about. No, no, which... that's someone from the Jersey Shore. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um... <laughs> it's, it's hyphenated. It's Lexan. <laughs> <laughs> so Lexan is a um, polycarbonate. So apparently it's not actually glass. It's a fucking pl- thermoplastic, which actually might be what this is, because it is definitely plastic. Oh, come on. Have I just stolen all of your... Uh... No, but it's just so poor, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's I, not I, glass. I was so worried then. I thought I'd stolen your bloody... Byron Faxon of the week, so I'm glad I didn't. I uh, so it's on you know the internet wrote in Lexan. Lexan is used in large quantities to make CDs, DVDs, Blu-rays, and Hell in a Cell chambers. <laughs> no, don't, don't say that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Josh Matthews has Lexan Tourette's here. It's his word of the day. And it rather overshadows the amount of times they say parkour during the match. So, oh, my God. So, so, be, thankful for, so be thankful for sh- for some sm- small mercies. Um, I also, before the match starts as well, Booker T, his voice, it sounds like he's about to go. He needs a strap saw at the beginning of this. He's like, Bleh. and I was like, do you know what? Maybe he's not going to be able to talk for the rest of the show. This would be great. But lo and behold, the professional that he is, soldiers on. I won't let a little sore throat or sore sounding throat stop him from talking bollocks for the next two hours. So the third entrant in the match is Wade Barrett. Edge and Mysterio take out Barrett with a pop-up bum drop, I've called it, because I had no idea what else to call it. Mysterio then slid out from underneath the bottom rope to the metal, which looks pretty nasty. And then there's a big pump handle slam 
by Barrett on Mysterio. There's a nice exchange with Mysterio clutching the cell and then jumping off of it backwards, and a near fall when Edge hits Mysterio with a big boot. There's a bit where the crowd really get in for an exchange between Ray and Ray Mysterio and Wade Barrett. Um, where it's like a possible kind of power bomb off the cell. I think that's what you were just referring mm. to, Tinky. And then a six-one-nine attempt that gets stupidly counted by Edge, which is that mm. annoying thing that always happens in these matches. We're like, let's let him do the six-one-nine, eliminate him, then it's just you two again. Yeah. Fucking idiot. There's at this point as well. I've already written the forced arguments on commentary is getting very grating. It's already started. I feel like I'm becoming a bit of an expert of, of completely blocking out the commentary for these shows mm. because I haven't noticed the commentary as being particularly bad throughout this and it just doesn't bother me anymore. I don't know what it is. I'm just able to completely like blank it out. It's, you probably do a similar thing when you record this podcast with me and old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I must say the last one that we did, it was just you talking, Tinky. <laughs> for the entire time. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I just quote Booker T? When Raymond gets uh, slid out under the rain onto the grate, and he's like, "We gotta see his stomach. His stomach could be ripped up. His stomach could be ripped." He then immediately rolls over. He goes, "Oh, his stomach's all right." <laughs> like, oh, cool. <laughs> it's like as if he rolled through and his his spleen had exploded <laughs> from his stomach. His anus had prolapsed. It's like, come on. Entrant four in the match is Kane. Kane dominates for a bit until Ray kicks him in the head. Then Edge and Barrett do the same. All four men are then down when Barrett, Ray and Edge all clothesline one another. Um, then we have Kane hit Mysterio with an uppercut and Mysterio hangs upside down from the top, from the top turnbuckle. There's a bit. <laughs> this, is probably my, this is probably my highlight of the match. Two, these two moments. Michael Cole says that the Elimination Chamber is like Kane's sandbox. And then I said a little mental image of Kane just like crouching down, digging a little hole and having a little poo <laughs> in the sandbox, which is lovely. But the, the bit that after you said just then, Tiggy, about Barrett, Ray and Edge or kick Kane in the head and Josh Matthews is amazed. Bear in mind, this is Hell's favourite demon. This is a man who's kicked out two tom- tombstones at WrestleMania 14 and gone through numerous other things. He can't believe that Kane's kicked out after three kicks to the head. <laughs> he's like, he's being hit with three kicks to the head. Three kicks? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. This is blowing my mind. And poor old Josh Matthews is absolutely in pieces over this. Kane is my MVP of the show. Mm. I mean, we'll get into He is fan-fucking-tastic in this match because... Uh, well, let's let's jump ahead a little bit. So he comes in. He's the monster that everyone's after. Right? Mm. Everyone's after him. And then he starts choke slamming people. He's taking names, choke slamming them again, asking their name again. And then when the uh, big show comes in, Mr. Show, Kane then reverts back to just being a normal competitor, so that Big Show gets the rub of the big man, and he can do what he does. And then after the big show fucks off. Kane then goes back to being the big guy. It's brilliant. Because when Kane walked out, I'll be honest, I was like, fuck off. <laughs> like, no, 2011 Kane, I'm not interested, not interested. You know what? I bloody was. I, I agree with you. I thought Kane was very good in this match because he did a good job of building up and making him look yeah. like a monster. What I will say, actually, I meant to say this at the beginning of the match. So, we're as what? Edge, Rey Mysterio, Drew McIntyre, Wade Barrett, Big Show and Kane. Kane. Is that the most mid-card elimination chamber of all time? No, because Cody Rhodes isn't there. Oh. No, that's true. That's true. And also, this is Wade Barrett of 
The core. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is, yeah. The core, now, Barrett. They neither spell their C-O-R-E, it's C-O-R-R-E, so I don't know what that word means, but I would have preferred it if it had been C-O-R, and they'd come out dressed as the cores <laughs> and doing really <laughs> offensive Irish accents. That would that would have been amazing. Which yeah. one would Wade Barrett have been? Uh, he would have been Andrea Core because he was the leader. Okay, fair enough. Actually, <laughs> I, sorry, I'm going to have to correct myself. It's C-O-R-R. The chorus. I've embarrassed myself there. It's pretty much a weekly occurrence, so don't worry. Um, <laughs> hey, 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 hang on. That's deeply offensive, so I missed a month. <laughs> yeah, sorry, your average is down a bit right now. Over. <laughs> so entrant number five is Drew McIntyre. McIntyre throws Rey Mysterio headfirst at one of the pods. Uh, McIntyre and Barrett then work together versus Kane. McIntyre then rams Barrett through a pod panel. There's a snap suplex by McIntyre and Edge. An Edge DDT on McIntyre. Kane throws Edge into the ring post. And then there's a great sequence involving all five with counters and all kinds of stuff going on. Good bit of action at this point. Is Drew thrown way through the Lexon yet? And Booker T's head exploding. Because that's Possibly. what happens at one point during this. And the crowd are really into this at this point. The, the, the action's pretty hot. It's all high-paced. And to be fair, a good injection of Drew. What I will say, though, we've said this before, people shouldn't wear white pants. Because it makes it look like you, you're going to shit yourself at any point. Or at least that's <laughs> what's in my mind. <laughs> Basically, wrestlers shouldn't wear white shorts <laughs> or pants of any kind because Tom's worried you might shit yourself. The only person who's ever pulled off white pants is Arn Anderson, I think, back in the day. But I don't think anyone else has ever managed to pull off because maybe he's just got a tiny cock of balls. But everyone else is. I'm really conscious of being able to see their bollocks all the time <laughs> whenever they do anything. And you can very much see all Drew's McIntyre's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Galloway. <laughs> you don't do want to talk about it. It's Galloway. It's invading Galloway. <laughs> Um, speaking of, I forgot to mention this in the uh, King Miz match. There's one point where King gets up on the uh, turnbuckle and you can just see his knob. <laughs> oh, horrible, horrible. So he, he, he meant that for that to happen. I bet. Yeah. Engine number six is the Big Show. He takes everyone down, then goes after Barrett. Big Show shoves Barrett through a pod, then slaps his chest to pieces. Uh, at this point, um, Michael Cole describes those chops as coming from the frying pan-like hand of the Big Show. <laughs> so we've, so we've, we've had frying pans and we've had typewriters recently, haven't we? What are we going to um, get next? Frying pan's closer, at least. It's got the same sort of shape. but Just flat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, there's also... Typewriter. <laughs> and Booker T is going, did you see that? Did you see that? That's all he keeps yelling every time that he does one of his frying pan slaps. So then Kane hits Big Show with a flying clothesline and head, Edge hits an elbow for a two count. McIntyre then hits a Future Shock DDT for another two count. Mysterio hits a seated senton from the top of the chamber for another two count. This is all on the Big Show, I should say. Um, there's a 619 and then a spear to Big Show. And then Kane clotheslines him and Big Show is pinned. Yeah, it's quite a poor end, really. Given that the very last move done on him is a clothesline. <laughs> yeah. That's why I thought. I was like, you've just had everyone hit their big moves. And he's like, oh, okay, a clothesline. I appreciate he's had everything done. But why not also, um, you've got your world champion in there, in Edge. Why not let the spear do it? Like, weird, isn't it? Who knows? Then Kane chokes Lambs Drew McIntyre and pins him. Uh, then we've got Edge and Mysterio against Kane. Mysterio gets a couple of uh, near falls on Kane. Ray then avoids a choke slam, hits the 619, then goes for another seated senton, but he gets caught by Kane. But Edge spears both and pins Kane as they go down. 
thought there was a bit of a missed opportunity here. I think Kane should have got Rey Mysterio up into a pile drive position, and then Edge could have speared Kane, which would have completely blindsided him, and then they could have pinned him. It would have been much better, I think, at that point. Interesting. I liked it. I liked this anyway. I thought it was good. I didn't think it makes sense because Kane doesn't get all the impact from it. All the impact is taken by Mysterio, so I thought it didn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I wonder if there was a little bit of a botch in that, if I'm being honest. Yeah, to be honest, the whole last like four, five, six minutes of this match is great stuff. Really good stuff. Actually, I think looking at the uh, order, it might actually be closer to about 10 minutes. It's quite a long time. The, yeah, this match is really, really fucking good. That was the one thing that I noticed is that Edge spears Mysterio whilst he's being carried by Kane. And it was like, ah, it could have been better. But why not, eh? you got to live, haven't you? Yeah. So after Kane is eliminated, he big boots Edge and chokeslams both men. Mysterio then jumps, once he's recovered, Mysterio then jumps over a spear and gets a near fall. So then we get a great finishing sequence between Rey Mysterio and Edge. There's a sharpshooter slash cloverleaf type move by Edge, which I didn't really understand exactly what it was. Mysterio counters that into a pin attempt for a two count. Edge hits a spear, but Mysterio kicks out. Edge then kicks out of a 619 and splash combo before Edge spears Mysterio as he goes for a splash from the top rope and gets the pin to win the match and retain the World Heavyweight Championship. Really good. Really, really good sequence between these two. You've got your kind of thoughts about Edge, Tinky, and I'm I'm kind of in an agreement with you. But these two know what they're doing. You know what I mean, with with each other in, in the ring. They they tell a really good story. It's very high paced, high impact, couple of decent false finishes. The crowd are absolutely lapping it up like a dog eating chips and they're having a beautiful time. It's uh it's a really, really good ending to the match. I thought this was really just really good. And up until this point, I didn't realize how long the match is. And I was like, you know what? That was pretty fucking good. All the way through, I think. The one bum note, I think, when he comes in is Barrett, because I don't really know what he's offering, but he's got the shit with the big show. So there's a reason for him being there. And also they end with the right two people as well. It's quite a mid-card elimination chamber. It needed to be these two that finished it to give it that little bump at the end. But yeah, it's really very good stuff. Very much enjoyed it. Well done, lads. Yeah, I completely agree. This is my match of the night. I think this is a great match. I think this is a really, really good match. Oh mine, yeah. Edge and Rey Mysterio start us off. They end it, they finish it all as well. So to your point, if you if you're concerned about the lack of star power that the rest bring, well, Edge and Rey Mysterio just carry the whole match and it will make it feel like a bigger deal. Saying all that, I thought Wade Barrett and Drew McIntyre, the two slightly non entities of the match, more than contributed. I thought they were very, very good in this. Um, really enjoyed their contribution. I also agree with you, old man Kane makes a great contribution to the match as well. Even the Big Show's got his place here and, you know, they're not using him for long. He's not in the match for very long, but he is perfectly functional, does his job. They don't, we don't have too much of him, so you don't get fed up of him just dominating. And uh, yeah, I just thought this was very well put together, uh, really well worked. Forget what I've said about Edge in terms of generally here he was great and Rey Mysterio was great too Rey Mysterio in particular I just thought was excellent and I also thought when I was looking at it I was like there's again a believability that Rey Mysterio might win this because the winners facing Del Rio at Mm. Wrestlemania and Del Rio versus Rey Mysterio given the history they'd had by this point would have made sense as a Wrestlemania match I think that plays into quite a lot on this show actually I I think I mentioned it earlier on with the Miss Jerry Lawler is that because you can't really see what the hell they're doing for Wrestlemania because they don't have anything of real 
value. By this point, The Undertaker hasn't returned and decided to face Triple H. You've got The Rock's going to be on the show, but he's obviously not wrestling. So there's all this like, it's all up in the air a bit. You know, you don't really know what's going to happen at WrestleMania 27. So it makes it it makes it better because you're like, I could see Rey Mysterio winning this. It would have made sense. So I, yeah, I just think it's an excellent, excellent match. This. I will actually also say that this is my match of the night as well. So there we go. It's a three-peat. It well is. Done match. Yeah. <laughs> well done, match. Also, because we did cover this live, I know Tom did his notes a while ago, but they weren't quite that long ago. We know who wins this match in particular. Now, the second elimination table, which we'll get to, there was a little bit of, well, did they do a little thing where they screwed someone when I see the lineup of the match? Definitely not. But this was the match where I was like, cool, I know who wins this. And for it to be as good as it is, even with that knowledge, I thought, fair fucking play. Mm. Go on, Kate. And also, to your point about Drew McIntyre, Tinky, what happened? Because he's great at everything he does. I tell you what happened. Oh, that's it. It didn't it didn't work out until he got the beard, and then he could remove that noise that followed him everywhere he went, and it was all good again. I mean, honestly, is there we could talk about this chap in a second, but Vincent Mann historically doesn't like Kristen's face. Is it very possible that he could have not liked Drew McIntyre's beardless face? Despite well, the fact that he was the chosen one at the time? Yeah, I don't think so, because you say he was the chosen one. I think Christian's face wouldn't have been such a big problem if Christian was six inches taller and 50 pounds heavier, to be honest. (laughs) So after the match, Edge is attacked by Alberto Del Rio, who will, of course, be his opponent at WrestleMania. And he applies the cross arm breaker as the refs try to get him off. Then Christian arrives on the scene and makes the save. I didn't like this. I thought it was completely unnecessary. I had also, to this point, completely forgotten that Christian is in his court in Edge's corner at WrestleMania. And I was like, this is crap. Like, no. Don't, also, um, we're like a month removed from the pay-per-view. Don't attack him now. Wait until like the Friday before. If you beat him up now, it'll be all right by the time Mania comes around. <laughs> Like it yeah. just doesn't, if he'd come out, what would have been better, I think, is if you have to make him appear and you have to like be like, some some cunt's got a point at the sign. Have him come out and then faint to come in. And then when the elimination chamber starts to lift or something, just have Del Rio turn his back and like do that. <clears throat> the little hand wave where he does that. Yeah, unnecessary. And also with respect, I like Christian. I don't want to see him at the end of an elimination chamber match. This just had me little socks warmed up. Especially after he successfully defends Edge, he keeps grabbing his boob. Does he? Grabbing his own boob. Yeah. So apparently he, apparently Alberto Dorio ripped his pectoral muscle. So he keeps on going. So you got Drew McIntyre chin syndrome. <laughs> no, 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 no. Drew McIntyre's chin is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas Christian's peck is. <laughs> 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 Okay, fine. Yeah, I didn't think this was particularly well executed, to be honest. And what was also weird is that Christian hits the unprettier on Del Rio afterwards as well. And whilst this is all going on, there are people already preparing to lift the chamber up again. Mm. So there are, you can see in the background, people like ripping bits off the chamber. So that it's, I assume they have to do that to make it fit to go back up again. And so you're just a bit like, all right, guys, what, what's going on? Are you pressed for time? <laughs> what's, what, what's happening? It just felt really badly executed. The thing I find really weird about this as well is that evidently they could frame it that he's saving edge yet there's seemingly no acknowledgement between christian and edge he comes down piece of del rio fucks off again and there's no acknowledgement that he's gone down to save his mate or brother whatever their relationship was at the time they're friends now they're friends yeah just good friends just good friends 
Are you think that's one of your favourites? Great, great song. <laughs> Banger. I don't, I don't even know what you're fucking on about. Uh, Stevie Wonder and Michael Jackson. Well, Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder. Just good friends. Get it right, Bang. Tom. Fuck's sake. Banger of a song. Backstage, Matt Stryker interviews Jerry Lawler. He does the sad Lawler voice, but then mm. I found out. I, I was like, originally I was at laughing, and then I realised why he does the sad Lawler voice. So I was watching it, and he said the exact same thing. I was like, ah, he's doing the sad flow. Oh, his mum's dead. Yeah, so it was. I felt a bit bad. Anyway, to a halt. He says he's got to do what he's got to do. He says there are a couple of things he's never done. Won the WWE title and compete at WrestleMania, and tonight he can achieve both. So then we get the whole Booker T and Trish Stratus stuff. So, old man, you carry on. It is absolutely nuts that he never competed, isn't it? Like, a little a little bit. Just a little once. Bit. Yeah. Just is once. It? A little bit. But then again, even when he first joined WWF, he was quite old. Like, he was getting mm. on. you got to remember, like, as well, uh, we discussed it on the Super Bowl Six episode that came out uh, a couple of weeks ago. Randy Savage was considered too old by Vince mm. Man. Not, I don't think, because of the fact that he was too old to work but actually because what Vince was really trying to do was create the illusion of a new generation and mm. Randy almost I think part of it is that he kind of detracted from that that view and I think Lawler kind of partially did too although he still have it they still had him fight Roddy Piper at King of the Ring 94 but anyway but you know so I think you've got to kind of remember even then he was a little bit done you know his career had kind of done mm. he hit a peak and gone past it by the point that he joined, turned up in WWF so I don't know it is weird though I mean he's obviously been in the company forever so it is a bit strange they needed him on commentary duties more than they needed yeah. to wrestle basically that's what the truth was and also let's be honest the years that he gave us on com- golden commentary with jr we should be thankful for that really i know you can look back on it now and be like oh horrible but at that time in our formative years Oh, the commentary. So after this is the Booker T interest Stratus bit, so we can race past that now and go straight to the highlight of the night I'm sure we're all very excited by, which is the core against Santina Morella and Vladimir Kozlov. So the core are Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel, members of Wade Barrett's, whatever they're called. Staple. 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 And uh, they're against Santino Morello and Vladimir Kozlov, who are tag team champions, and they come to the ring with Tamina Snuka. What the fuck? With Tamina? <laughs> I, was like, I mean, to be fair, no idea on the backstory of this. I was like, what's Tamina doing there? And why is her Tamina, Tamina, Tamina music not playing? But then we get to hear Santino's amazing That's music. So true. It's Santino! amazing. This is a five minute match. And I think, to be honest, they were just trying to get it out of the way as quick as they could and get this title swap done. Uh, what happens is Heath Slater gets a blind tag and then hits a reverse DDT on Kozlov. Then Justin Gabriel hits the 450 for the pin. We have new tag team champions. It's a lovely 450. It really is. Apart so, from a note about how wrinkly Ezekiel Jackson's head is, I've got no <laughs> other notes on this match. So Cole goes full heel after the Lola promo, and he has to continue through this match. I mean, don't get me wrong, this match isn't very good, and it doesn't probably outstays his welcome by about four minutes, to be honest. But his commentary during this is fucking awful. This is where I wrote that Josh Matthews is the voice of sense. <laughs> Josh fucking Matthews is the voice of sense. Oh, it's terrible. And the match isn't very good. 
I don't think the match is bad. I just think it's it's five minutes. They get in and get out. I actually yeah. think that Morella and Kozlov are, are quite they they're all right actually. I thought mm. they were both they were quite both quite good and the fans are quite into this surprisingly. But I just thought that the WWE put it out there just because they needed the switch, which was a shame because well not a shame. I don't think I'd have wanted longer. But I didn't think that what they did was bad at all. I just think it was a bit inconsequential really. I think that uh, quite a fun match considering how limited Kozlov and Santino are as well. Like as as in ring performers and never particularly been high on Heath Slater or Justin Gabriel either with the exception of that 450 450 splash but it was it was good like again it was only five minutes there's not really much you can't really complain too much about a five minute match can you other than the fact that it might be too short which in this case as you said Tinker I don't think it was so yeah yeah, it was it was all fine I I thought it was absolutely fine the arguing from Cole at the end was killing me like what old man said earlier it was absolutely grating my ass chaps (laughs) yeah I'm 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 just not getting I'm just not noticing the commentary at all uh, anymore I think it's I just think I've completely zoned out and it's now just a thing that's happening I think the thing with these four is that Santina Morella was a good comedy character for a while Kozlov they gave him the big push he was never really great but you know it did what it did for a little bit Justin Gabriel had a pretty impressive 450 splash but that's it Heath Slater is probably the most um, consistent and reliable performer of the lot, but there's nothing flashy about him. There's nothing interesting or exciting about him. So basically what he said it did for pretty much his entire WWE time was sell for celebrities who were on Raw. That's pretty much what he did every time. Anytime they had someone who had no experience or was really old, they put him in there with Heath Slayer because he was just he was a very safe pair of hands. He was in WWE from including developmental from 2006 through to 2020. Yeah, he, as I said, he was just they they trusted him a lot. He did all the stuff with all the old guys that would come back and all the celebrities that would come in. He would just sell for them, even if he had to get like a punch in or whatever. They just used him because he was safe. He was very safe and very consistent and very reliable. He now just goes by the name Heath in Impact Wrestling. I love it. If he had a tag team, if he had a tag team partner called Cliff, yeah, that'd be lovely. <laughs> and they came down to Kate Bush's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Weathering Heights. <laughs> that'd be that'd be the name of their finisher, wouldn't it? Weathering Heights, and it'd be like a doomsday device. Oh, that's lovely. Well, if you heard it here first, if you hear that tag team yeah. turn up, then you know why. So next up, we get some backstage stuff again with Todd Grisham. This time, he's interviewing the Miz. The Miz has Alex Riley with him. Miz asks Grisham what year it is. He says it's not 1983 when it was cool to be the king, or 1999 when you could smell what the Rock is cooking. He says he'll crush 40 years of Lawler's dreams, and then whoever wins the Raw Elimination Chamber match will be beaten at WrestleMania 27. You know what? He's bloody right. He is. He is bloody yeah. right. Yeah. Fair fucking play to the cunt. It was good. Decent promo. I thought it was quite yeah. good. He was decent. Yeah, that's the thing. He mm. was decent, just in general. And I think that's what I said about him the other day. He's, there's a ceiling on how high the quality is going to be, but it's never going to be bad. He's just no. he's very, very middling as a performer. In a company like WWE, <laughs> middling is pretty good. Well, Gives you a Midlands, long career. Yeah, that's it. That's what I was just going to say. Midland's given him a job for the last, what, 16, 17 years? Yeah, nah, long, nah, long old time. Yeah, basically for, a period of time. Four feature films, his own reality TV show, a WrestleMania yeah. main event, <laughs> WWE title run, twice. I mean... He's been around for a, for a good old time. Then we get the excuse me stuff with Vicky Guerrero. We've spoken about that. So then we get all the Miss Jerry Lawler stuff. 
Great stuff. We've spoken about that. We then go backstage and we see John Cena eating a bowl of fruity pebbles before an interview by Todd Grisham. Cena says that the man who goes to WrestleMania will have to go through tremendous pain to do so. Right. This John Cena is worst in terms of a promo because he does a similar thing to what Frank Lampard does. You know, you know, where he's like, well, we had a good game tonight. Yeah, but seriously, you know, good opponents. That's what he fucking does in this. He's, he's like, and now we're here tonight is live, and here we are, and in the Oracle, and blah, blah, blah. But seriously, it's a fucking elimination chamber, and I'm ready to get some chains for the balls. I mean, you're like, fuck off, John Cena. You are rubbish. And also, Fruity Pebbles, before you have a match, that's going to be awful. You want to have some pasta a couple of hours before, nice slow-release carb, not fruity pebbles. And you also went in with yabba dabba do or some bollocks. So I can't have a notice, Tommy, that when you were talking about that, you said the Oracle, which brings us nicely to this week's Byron Faxton of the Week. So, on January the 4th, 1974, Marvin Gaye made his live comeback after four years missing after the death of his singing partner, Tammy Terrell. Byron Faxton of the Week. Now, I feel like I'm shortchanging the listener a little bit because I covered a few arena concert things. We had a we had a double last week for mm-hmm. the listener. So hopefully their ears haven't spunked their load too much. But I, I ain't missing Marvin Gaye. Because if I did, I'd have to go... Brother, brother. <laughs> well, I'll tell t- you what, oh, oh, man. The Byron Facts of the Week is always a very solid. And I'm glad you did it because I was worried that it would. Oh, fuck. fuck, off, fuck <laughs> <off>. <laughs> What's going on, Tom? Oh, well, well, that's the thing. Well, at least we're on to the main event because ain't nothing like the real thing, baby. <laughs> that's what's going Because that was by him and Tammy Terrell. So. Yes, yes, that's true. So we got. Well, we got you t- know what? I feel like I'm shortchanging the listener. So how about another? Tyron Faxton of the Week. A little treat for Tinky, this one, because Tommy wouldn't have heard it yet. But uh, Nirvana performed a concert at the what was then known as the Oakland Coliseum Arena in 1993 during their In Utero tour. Tyron Faxton of the Week. <laughs> Do you mean In Utero? Uh, and he got it wrong last week as well. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I had a fucking shit shit of a time trying to say the facts last week. So on, much yeah. so that what was it? What was it, Matt called me in the break? A useless Bristolian bold twat of a cunt, I think it was. <laughs> he called me. <laughs> and I was like, fair. Well, old, old man, you've conquered that mountain. And at the bottom of it, he said, ain't no mountain high enough. Right, come Jesus. on. Let's, we've got to do the rest of the show. Let's get it on. Right. Um, <laughs> sexual <so>. healing, baby. <laughs> Fuck. Mercy, mercy me. <laughs> Stop looking through Spotify, you cunts. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I know my Marvin Gaye, mate. Well, I heard it through the grapevine that you didn't. So. <laughs> oh, lovely stuff. You have to make a show all about you, don't you? You always say, I am everything. <laughs> And everything is you to yourself in the mirror before we start. Right, I've got, I, I can't do this anymore. So let's, let's move on. <laughs> if I should die tonight, I can't have you been in a bad mood with me. That's a fucking Marvin Gaye song, you burks. That's one that you've just found on a list of Marvin Gaye songs and tried to shoehorn in. Well, of course it is. <laughs> anyway, right. Uh, 
just as an aside, if you want to hear what old birds talk about with the biofacts of the week, you only have to listen to the first five minutes of last week's show. <laughs> okay, lovely stuff. But obviously there is a there is a little Easter egg at the end as well. Let's just say that so they listen to the whole thing. So Matt Stryker is backstage with CM Punk. CM Punk says he's batting one thousand and Cena's batting zero. He's beaten him three times. He says he can't see Cena beating him. Or anybody that I've written there. Eh? Well, in fairness, that's kind of it. Yeah. Promo was a bit weird. Oh, yeah, no, I've got it. Weird I've got it. I've got it. Like, shut up, shut up, shut up. I've got it. <laughs> shut up, shut up. <laughs> he says he can't see Cena beating him or anybody else coming out the winner except him. Not a, not a bad promo. There was one thing that I did like about it, and i got to give props to Matt Stryker for this. He says, thank you for your time, and then walks <laughs> off, and then looks gormlessly in the middle distance. But he at least acknowledges that something has happened. <laughs> Rather than just after the CM Punk finishes, him just standing there with the microphone going, Ooh. <laughs> Hang on, is that Drew McIntyre's chin again? No, Drew McIntyre's in the background going, it's crumbling around in the bins. <laughs> Right, it's time for the main event, as Mark Henry might say. That's not a catchphrase. I don't care how many times he says it. It's not a fucking catchphrase. It's just words that everybody says. Right, just so we've got that clear. It's an Elimination Chamber match for a WrestleMania shot at the WWE title. It's Randy Orton, Randy Orton versus R-Truth versus CM Punk versus John Cena versus Sheamus versus John Morrison. Now, I've kept a running tally of parkour style, and it only gets mentioned three times during this match. As I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were far, far more excited excited about the the whatever it was called the the glass camera the lorax that's that's a that's a fucking dr zeus book that's right the the, the thorax that's that's right (laughs) so we start this match with seamus and john morrison different uh kind of different style of start these two obviously not really you would say potentially top stars we get big cena sucks chance and let's go cena chance and then seamus is on top and he pushes morrison into our truth's Pod. Well, I'm glad you said our truth because he's done well for himself, hasn't he, to get himself in that main event. And again, lovely run in WWE. Mm. Still there, still going strong. You've forgotten one of the big competitors in this match, Tinky. Who's that? Scott Armstrong. <laughs> and at this point, I was like, oh God, the bollocks recoiled and went up a little bit. So I was like, this match is going to have five pinfalls. I'm going to see that dreadful count at least five times. He's not happy. He's not <laughs> happy at all. He's very, very upset. Look at, look at his face. He's going to. <laughs> the thing is that I think I think pro- people probably think that I hate Scott Armstrong. I don't hate Scott Armstrong. I just want him to be better. But I thought you were going to say. I think say I don't hate Scott Armstrong. I just want him to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's poor taste, Tinky. <laughs> so just before we get into that, this does come a little bit later, but I do need to mention it because otherwise I'll forget. So Seamus, up to this point, his defining moment was a was wrestling Triple H at WrestleMania 26, and he wins the title for a bit. So he's he's had maybe 18 months of good shit. Booker T, if Seamus can win the Elimination Chamber, he'll be a candidate for the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> Byron Faxton <laughs> I was just like I mean fuck off totally driven to distraction by the commentary that's that's your problem guys just just ignore it you'll be better off no because otherwise it would just be like how was the commentary don't know that's, that, that's pretty much what I would say to you in that situation yeah but we've been recording now obviously it'll be different by the time you've edited out all the bollocks <laughs> but we've been recording now for two hours 23 minutes if me and Tom hadn't been talking about the commentary easy five minutes done <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the thought had occurred to me. I've got to be honest. Right. Mm. Entrant number three is Randy Orton. Orton throws Morrison through one of the pods. Orton then is uh, on Sheamus on the cage or the cell or the chamber, whatever you want to call it. Then Orton superplexes Morrison for a two count. He then also superplexes Sheamus for another two count. And then Miz is shown watching from the back. Mm. So a pair of lovely superplexes. I've got, I've got to give him credit for that. And obviously the Miz is watching side on as is his want. I did think to myself, I might watch the next pay-per-view like that. The next one that I'm doing <laughs> for, for the podcast, I might stand side onto the TV for three hours and then show up to the podcast in crippling neck pain. <laughs> A little note on the commentary again. <laughs> Michael Cole. Fuck it is. <laughs> Michael Cole, though, is just commentating now. He's not heel. He's not face. He's Cole. And it's like, no. See, I'd rather that because it means that you have I would him- as well. But where's the fucking consistency? This is the person who's going to face the Miz, who he's just bigged up. So what he should be doing, really, is he should be bigging up R-Truth or John Morrison. Because they're crap in the main event picture, like, kind <laughs> of image. Yeah, the the Bay world. <laughs> the K-Fame. Yeah, yeah. Bay. <laughs> yeah, it's silly. Silly! Entrant number four, if you're done with your rant about commentary, is CM Punk. For now. Punk's door won't open. And he's stuck halfway in and halfway out, allowing Orton to pummel him and put the boots in. Orton then hits RKO and Punk is pinned just like that. The anonymous Raw General Manager's email noise then plays over the public address system. And Michael Cole reads it out. And I quote, Due to a malfunctioning pod, CM Punk was not given a fair chance to compete. CM Punk is now reinstated in the match. So Punk goes back into his pod and the match continues as if he wasn't even the fourth entrant into the match. I must admit, when Punk got eliminated immediately, I was seething. (laughs) (laughs) I actually was was like, this is so shit. But I actually thought this was quite good. I quite enjoyed this. I'd forgotten. And we've seen obviously this a couple of months ago. The fucking heat on Michael Cole and the anonymous Royal General Manager is incredible. I didn't necessarily know if it's heat that was initially intended. <laughs> I think it might be a little bit of the old X-Pac heat, but it doesn't matter because getting an incredible reaction and they then lent into it. And it was great. And I'm glad they brought him back into the match. But it also meant is that we're going to get another fucking pinfall from Scott Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, was, I was done at that point. I was like, that's annoyed him something rotten, that is. That is my commentary. That's <laughs> that's my commentary to all ban. Mm. It's good to see uh, Hornswoggle on the pay-per-view. <laughs> yes, I see what course. you did there. See what you did mm. there. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, Punk gets back in his pod. Match continues. Then we have entrant number five, John Cena. Sheamus then immediately jumps in the pod and beats Cena down. Morrison then takes both Orton and Seamus down with a crossbody. I've got got another note on the commentary. (laughs) So Orton hits a high knee drop where he like goes into the ropes, does a high knee drop thing. Michael Cole, Orton! That's it. (laughs) (laughs) And then Josh Matthews starts talking again. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's it. (laughs) Entrant number six is R-Truth. Seamus tries to do the same to Truth that he did to Cena, but Truth is ready for it and he takes Seamus down. Seamus then hits a bro kick on R-Truth and pins him for the first elimination. Orton throws Morrison through a pod. Then there's a battle between Cena and Orton, which ends with an Orton drop kick. And then we get entrant seven, 
CM Punk because he's actually coming in for his second try. <laughs> Old R Truth hits an absolute beautiful hip toss onto the outside metal outside of the ring metal platform. Lovely stuff. The bro kick is phenomenal. It is fan fucking tastic. I think it's the perfect storm of the camera angle as well. And our trizzle selling as well. Shamers, lovely old job. Well done, lads. So after CM Punk comes in, Orton RKO Cena on the chamber grate, as I've this time called it. And uh, Punk, Punk stays in his pod until after Sheamus bro kicks Orton. But when he goes for the pin, Orton kicks out. Punk then hits the GTS and pins Orton. So a surprise elimination of Randy Orton at this point. There's then some CM Punk chance. CM Punk is a, is a heel at the time. So that's obviously not in the script. Punk is taken down by Sheamus. Uh, Morrison then avoids a Celtic cross from the chamber pod, so the top of the chamber pod, then climbs across the roof and jumps down onto Seamus from directly above and then pins Seamus. Thought this was a pretty cool spot. I did. I did. See, I did because it's the way Seamus sells it because he's looking around the ring. Like we had a uh, Callisto, I think mm. it was, Callisto spot, where mm. everyone's just looking up and going, oh, is that Callisto up there? Should we stand here to catch him? <laughs> Whereas on this, Seamus is looking around and then he just slowly looks up. And then and Martin then, comes uh, down. I did think it was a bit of a weak elimination because he only hits him with an arm. But also, there's a muscly man hitting him from 700 feet in the air. It probably <laughs> hurt me as well. So I, th- I like Seamus looking around for him and not seeing him and then looking up. The thing is, and I know you have to be ready to catch him and for it to, for it to be safe, and that is the most important thing. I just thought there was a little bit, it was like an extra like second or two too long between Seamus looking up and him falling on him. It suspended my disbelief of it a, a bit. I think the the thing is, is that that pause is so slight that if you're, if you're going to get touchy about that tom then you need to get touchy about every dive that's ever taken place ever because no, it the, was it was only the slightest of pauses no, but the, the, the difference is that could have been so saved by the camera angle or the way it was shot or something like that. i don't know I, I know exactly what you mean and to be honest if we start getting like that about everything then you're not going to enjoy anything about wrestling but i don't know it's just that that second because i don't know because you're not propelling yourself to someone you're just letting yourself fall it just seemed well, I, I thought he came down with a lot of pace, like a lot of speed, because he was obviously just falling. It wasn't like he was diving over anything with a with an arcing jet of semen. Um, he was <laughs> he was just falling straight down onto Seamus. So I thought it looked quite brutal because he came down so fast as well. It was like he he basically squished him. Do you think that's um, down to his parkour background? He was able to get get the Undoubt- speed up. Undoubtedly. I think if you're going to do something like this, this is as good as it will ever be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and also he is actually described as the prince of parkour after this. Yeah, that was the third mention of parkour. Mm. I'm going to say at this point, because I think I don't think I would say this about him, but John Morrison is my MVP of the night because of the performance Mm. he puts in here. I think he's excellent. I think he's really good in this. And again, because you're not really sure what the hell they're doing at WrestleMania 27 and used to be the Miz's partner. You can almost see that this could be a match because mm. if you think about it, they haven't brought the Undertaker back yet. So you could be like, well, maybe the Undertaker Cena is what they're doing for the main event of WrestleMania 27. That would make perfect sense. They haven't wrestled each other in a big match before. So maybe Cena doesn't win this and one of the others is chosen and it doesn't really matter who you choose once you've decided that your main event is the Undertaker versus John Cena. So like I was thinking like I could see John Morrison winning it like 
obviously I know he didn't, but it felt like it would fit. Mm. And I just thought he was really good. I thought he stood out a lot here and they really kind of made him without him having to win in this match. So I, I yeah, thought it was really good. Nice. Well done, John. So then Cena hits the five knuckle shuffle on Punk. He then goes for an AA, but Morrison knocks him down with an axe handle from the top. So Cena moves as Morrison's going for some kind of charge and he goes knees first into one of the pods. This is the other reason I'm giving Morrison the MVP because I feel like he and Mysterio earlier on kill themselves in these matches. Yeah. Like there are some really brutal looking things that they do and including the Morrison spot from the top when he jumps off the when he's come straight down on Seamus because he comes down so fast. And as you say, he doesn't catch him that well. He basically just hits the canvas like full mm. speed, very hard from quite a height. So all the way through this, I think he and, and Rosterio in the other match really kill themselves to get the match over. And I think they do a good job of it. So CM Punk puts Cena in a leg grape vine choke. Um, Cena then powers up with, with Punk on his shoulders and Morrison hits a doomsday device clothesline. Cena hits an AA on Morrison. Then Punk hits a roundhouse kick and all three. Three men are down. Punk slingshots Cena into the pod. Morrison jumps from the pod to the chamber wall and hits Punk with a kick, which I thought was really cool. Mm. Um, Morrison then misses Starship Pain, and then Punk hits the GTS and pins John Morrison. Immediately after that, though, Cena gets the AA on Punk to the outside of the chamber and pins him to win the match overall. So I noticed all of that in the match, but I didn't hear the first part, but I did hear it on the leg grapevine. God, would have been that, better if we hadn't already had. I heard it through the grapevine. Oh, did, oh, we are one listen. Um, Actually, the, or, or did I say it? No, I said it. That's, that's, the, that's my one listen. The attitude adjustment that Cena hits on Punk to the outside is an incredible attitude adjustment. The height in which Punk gets on it, maybe aided slightly by the rope because he's holding onto it, but it looks um, incredible and pretty brutal. And at that point, CM Punk's already got like a real nasty like gash on his leg. I think at that point as well. That was really cool. And to your point about um, Morrison, he didn't feel out of place at this part of the match. Maybe if you're watching at the time, maybe he would be. But going back and watching it, you know, 10 years earlier or later, as as the case actually is, even though we know that he doesn't really have a main event run or anything, you can believe it in this match because he puts in a hell of a performance, especially in this bit. I really like the end of of this. And what I liked about it is that what we said about the Rumbles this year where they basically did the same match twice that's what they haven't done here they had a long stretch at the end of the first chamber with ray and edge and then they had two quick fire eliminations by john cena to win it and i thought that made both matches had their own merit that i both liked and and i thought it was quite cleverly done well I'll, i'll build on that tom because in the first match you had the first two in the match go all the way in this one you got some of your later entrance into the match. Also, there's the CM Punk bit where he does get eliminated and then is allowed back in, which breaks this match up, gives it another element to it, which the first one doesn't have. The first one entirely relies on just wrestling, which is fine, but it just gives it something different. So I, I think you're right. I absolutely agree. That's exactly what I thought. I saw these two minutes of elimination chamber matches. Thought they're different. They've just got the different, slightly different vibe, slightly different setup. And I enjoyed both. I mean, I preferred the, the first one, but I still thought this was very good. Yeah, just nice, like you said, but pretty much like you boys have just said. They're just different, and they have to be different, and they are different. And you've got, in both matches, you've got, definitely in this match, you've got three people who are never winning it. And probably the same, I think, in the other match, but arguably four, actually, in the other match. But they still get the old entertainment going, get the old juices flowing, get the old boners going. Love the old job. <laughs> 
juices flowing, boners growing. <laughs> yeah, that's the random wrestling review. Da -da. That's the first hit of that new metal band yeah. that you described a few weeks back. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the show. It's time for our overall thoughts, our ratings out of 10. And Tom, I believe you still have to give your MVP of the night. I do. And actually, I've just changed my mind on it. Because what we didn't say is that after John Cena wins the match, you go backstage and you see The Miz. And then <laughs> The Miz is stood behind backstage watching the match with Alex Riley. And he uh, lifts his belt up and holds it up. And the, uh, the old strap of the belt just keeps brushing... <laughs> Alex Riley in the face. <laughs> and being the fucking professional that he is, he doesn't flinch. He doesn't move his face as his belt is just wafting past him. So that is why Alex Riley is my MVP. Fucking hell. Doesn't take much. It's a low bar, but he fucking well, I was going to give it to Jerry Lawler, but I ain't giving it to that fucking nonce. So, what was your, what's your, what's your square out of 10, your overall thoughts on the show? Okay, I think this is actually quite a good show. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. My fears were not founded. Well, they were founded, but they weren't realised. So I actually quite enjoyed this match. I liked, I thought the two Elimination Chamber matches were very good, both decent, uh, both different. Um, I enjoyed Jerry Lawler versus The Miz a hell of a lot more than I thought I would. Than I thought I would. The tag match is the only match in there that I thought was really shit. And I must admit, I can't remember anything about the first match. That's <laughs> because I watched it four months ago, <laughs> five months ago. So um, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to include that match. So I'm going to give this a, a generous seven. I, I agree with Tommy. This is a seven. I think, I think this is that awful tough enough promo and some very questionable commentary away from an eight, I think. I thought I just really thoroughly enjoyed this, which a bit like Tommy said, I wasn't expecting to do. And I've got to give credit to pretty much everyone involved in the show, apart from Booker T, <laughs> because he is the turd that hits you when you're walking down the street and you're equidistant from a toilet and home and you don't know what to do. So you shit yourself. And, and Booker T, there's one of the analogies that you can use. Free of charge, yeah. right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. I feel bad saying it because like, I like him. I've seen him interviewed. He seems like a nice guy. But a bit of a big head. And this show will come out two days before his birthday. He's not going to be able to enjoy that birthday now after hearing what you've said about him, old man. Well, you know what? I the cunt don't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so... This, this show has got an hour and a half of wrestling. An hour and ten minutes of that is very good. The Jerry Lawler Miz match is way better than it's got any right to be. Mm -hmm. The two Elimination Chamber matches are, are really, really good. The, the first of them is, in my opinion, absolutely excellent. It's a really, really good match. And as I suspected, the commentary is the difference between us. Because I haven't noticed it, I'm giving this an eight out of ten. I think this is a, a very, very good show. If that much good wrestling, yeah, there's some bum notes in the middle with the terrible bits with Booker T and Trish Stratus. And then Trish also doing the trying to do the handstand Harrington Rana thing that she messes up. And there's the tag team match, which is of no consequence whatsoever. I think the Alberto Del Rio, Kofi Kingston, on some of the shows we've watched, would probably be match of the night and i don't think it comes even close to it uh, mm. because it's there's enough quality that's on here and i also think that probably at the time i might have been disappointed by this because i think when you watch 
these shows in real time you're kind of looking to see what wrestlemania is going to be and you're looking for them to go in a different direction than you perhaps you suspect they're going to so you probably thought yeah they're going to go cena miz they're going to go edge versus del rio but you're probably in the midst of it all hoping for some kind of surprise or something that will shake it up to make it so that it's not that way and they could have done it as i said i think if you were thinking actually we'll have john cena versus undertaker at this um wrestlemania then you could have even gone Del Rio, Rey Mysterio, Miz versus John Morrison, two lower key world title matches. Um, and then you also have still got, you know, the likes of CM Punk and Edge and others to to factor into your to your WrestleMania show. But watching it this time, just really enjoyed it. Just thought it was on face value. It was just a, a really decent show. So, yeah, I I'm, I was taken with it, really taken with it. How about that, lads? Yeah, positivity. Unbelievable. Yeah. I know. Positivity parade, we should call it. A positivity podcast, that's what we should start calling yeah. it. I'll tell you what, actually, you know what? I've already mentioned one birthday. This might bring Tommy down. But the day after this podcast will come out, so on the 28th of uh, February, it'll be Ricky Steamboat's 69th birthday. You ain't got a lot to say <laughs> to that, apart from the noise that Drew McIntyre makes when he appears yeah. and, he has, and he hasn't got a beard. <laughs> so that brings us to the end of another show thank god it's been a it's been been a messy one it wasn't the uh the royal rumble episode as 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 little time as i had to edit it was a dream to edit even though it was even though tom was you know a whole bottle of wine down this one's going to be an absolute nightmare i can tell but even though that is the case, I want to thank you for joining me today, old man. I've had a lovely time chatting with you boys about this show, which has been great. It's been a great show. Everyone should watch it. But if they have to do one thing this week, it's only one thing. You know what they've got to do, don't you? Don't fucking watch this shit. Just remember, Kenneth Johnson, <laughs> And Tom, thank you for your contributions as well. Uh, thank you very much i love the fact that he went on saying how good it was and then immediately called it shit (laughs) (laughs) cheers lads we'll be back again next week with another randomly reviewed (laughs) wrestling show but until then take care